Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend too, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Uh, it's good, good, good. It's going good. Um, uh, I went, uh, you know, a holiday weekend last weekend? Uh, I Yes, I am aware of it. I didn't get to experience it, but yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to experience through the eyes and the rotting teeth of a child, or, or in my case, three children, as my kids, I looked over at my youngest kid as he had a fistful of sweet tarts and a fistful of score bits, and I'm like, this is not a proud moment for me as a parent. <laughs> I don't know what those things are. You know sweet tarts? Well, sweet, sweet tarts, sorry. I don't know what the other one was. Okay, you, you know a score chocolate bar? Yeah. Imagine it in bit form. Oh, just... <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's going to be a – that's definitely a gateway, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it's a gateway to having to brush those teeth that night. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, uh, buddy. Uh, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a good weekend. I went record shopping at a thrift store and found not one but two ska records. <laughs> yeah, what? What ska uh, records? Scalypso, which is a Calypso ska record. Oh and, boy! Yeah. Uh, Ska a go which is one of wow. the Studio One comps. But I, this is a second pressing of it. I'm assuming thrift store because there was was it a cheap find or were oh, you yeah. paying like a dollar? Okay, nice. A dollar, nice. That's um, all right then. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, but it it's more like I kind of felt obliged to buy them because you know it was, it's a very small town that I was in. Um, so to like you know to find these records there, it's like, oh, wow, I wonder who owned these records. Like, I wonder, you know, when, as the Swinging Utters once said, when reggae gets big in a small town, you know, and how did that ska record wind up in, in, <laughs> in that small town? Yeah, I do find that very interesting myself. That's always, I think that's the dream for, like, pickers, like us, for the most part, diggers, rather, I should say, rather mm-hmm. than pickers. But, like, the idea of going to a place that, you would not suspect would have any fire and then stumbling upon it. It's like the fantasy. The people that have been able to capitalize off that are, you know, obviously I'm, I'm envious of, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't, uh, to be fair, I guess I'm a little lazy. I haven't done it much <laughs> in the, in small towns when I go, but yeah, it's nice when you find, it is funny when you see stuff like that. I always like it too with, uh, um, like t-shirt band shirts mm-hmm. like occasionally if you're thrifting you'll find like like where did this come from like who had this <laughs> like like i've i've that i've had more uh bizarre i wouldn't call it luck but just like intrigue with seeing weird band shirts in like bizarre places wondering how they got there yeah like that to me is like the whole <clears throat> you know, reason this show happened is to find out yeah like, how did this wind up there or how did this kid get into this thing but that was my big record find for the week. Nice. Which was it? Okay, so is it called Ska AU Go-Go? Yeah. So there's a version on the resource that uh, is a pretty penny, the OG. I don't if know, you know I which the OG. Okay. That's it's a Studio pressing. One one. I got you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's later pressing. Because um, I'm looking at it going, wow, that's, well, it's still for a buck. That's not bad. It no. still goes for a decent decent amount yeah it's like not in the best shape <laughs> so i'm not <laughs> you know, i don't know if i'm gonna be flipping it anytime soon but well i don't i don't i don't recommend that i just mean like you never know what you'll find i'm always curious yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the, uh, that's part of the hunt, you know, and part of the thrill of the hunt is like, you never know what you're going to find. True. Um, that's the, uh, that's the disease. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But God love that disease. It's a disease that keeps us free. Yes. Uh, but how about yourself? Do you get any record shopping? See any shows? Didn't this week? No, I didn't have anything really. I'm trying to rack my brain. Um, no, I didn't. But I did want to shout out something I forgot. I shouted out one record last week, but another one I got at said show I went to. Sorry, I'm moving off mic to grab the record so I get all this right. Is a Violent End record, which is excellent on rock and roll disgrace mm. it came out this year and it's uh yeah it's excellent it's a rager if you like uh you know unrelenting fast raging hardcore american hardcore um there you have it i meant to shout that out last week and i forgot so thank you for the reminder but you know i didn't score anything else since unfortunately i had some luck in previous weeks but nothing uh nothing as of late all right well then uh i guess we uh we move on right we move on yeah. to the uh the news, the news you can use. I don't think we have any. Thank God. We don't have any news, but you got to get to your plugs first, my friend. Oh, yeah, my plugs. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us here at Turned Out a Punk, uh, the best way to get in touch with me is over on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. You can get in touch with Turned Out a Punk podcast. Uh, oh, no, we'll, we'll leave that to you, the, the email for this show, Chris, in a sec. Um, and uh, the best way to support this show is by going over to iTunes. Subscribing to it, writing a review, rating it, telling all your friends about it, uh, carving TOAP footnotes into your arm with a razor, <laughs> a la Slayer. Like, that's how you show your love for this. Yeah, I don't, I don't recommend the last, but yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't recommend it, but if you did it, you know. <laughs> yes. It, it would be that it would have happened, and then we would have to acknowledge it. This is true. Please don't, though. <laughs> That's a little morbid. <laughs> that would be a weird person that would be doing that for this show. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I find it weird when people I, do it for Slayer, but I could only imagine doing it for <laughs> yeah, exactly. TOAP footnotes. That is a, that is an act of devotion perhaps a bit too high on the scale for this exact uh, <laughs> whatever creative uh, expression, if you will. Although that's it, that's all I wanted to say. But that's I think that's it for my plugs. All right. So you want us to show oh, Facebook? The email I guess we show? To, is that what you want? Well, I guess we should do the Facebook too. Also, uh, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer Tristan Abraham. If you use Facebook, you can send him messages, and he will get the messages to us too. Nice. I had a question before we continue because it relates to something last week when you told your story about your New York trip. Yes. Uh, is the best show episode of which you are on uh, archived? Oh, yeah. No, it's all. It's to on, yeah. It's on the. Listen uh, to if yeah. you didn't, you know? Yeah, it's, it's on the best show feed on iTunes um, right now. And also, I should say, I don't think I've said this yet. Okay, nice. Um, I'm now like helping MVP with his podcast, the VIP lounge. So I've been on the VIP lounge for the last three weeks in a row. Um, so if you want to go over there and hear me talk about wrestling and cannabis and punk even more, but all in one place, as opposed <laughs> to over on this podcast where we try and keep it into three separate shows, uh, you can do that over on the VIP lounge. Um, check that out. 
And also, oh yeah, a Spotify playlist. I forgot to plug it on the actual episodes itself, but I have been continuing these Spotify playlists. There's a new one up now. Uh, if you use Spotify, you can find them over on the Damien Abraham artist page that's been set up. We couldn't get it turned out a punk page. And uh, yeah, that's it. Now, thanks to Kim for setting that up. Nice. Uh, that's actually the news. If if we have any news, that's, that's the news. That's the news, that's the news you, know you can I mean? use. Well, there's that, but I mean, the in relation to what you specifically just mentioned is that the aforementioned uh, company that you have these playlists on went public officially oh, yeah. two days ago or whatever it is. Yesterday, yeah. two days ago, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yesterday or two days ago, Spotify did go public. And yeah. yeah, like once again, I should add as a caveat to these playlists, if you do like something on one of these playlists, please go out and support the artist that you like. Like, you know, you can buy the record, you can buy a shirt, you can... Go see them live. You know, there's a number of ways you can support them. But yes, uh, in the spirit of Spotify going public, please find ways of supporting <laughs> artists that aren't just by listening to them on Spotify. Yes, of course. I think that goes without saying on this podcast for sure. Uh, I'm sure there are many others similarly. But uh, for me, what I like what you're doing with them is that thematically, obviously, it suits the episode. Mm-hmm. And I think we live in an age where it's quite literally unavoidable to not you know be uh burdened by some kind of technological whatever you want to say advancement or what have you so of course it's it's easy and convenient to to get this to people so why not use it that's my uh that's my feelings anyway yeah and like if this was a zine and i was doing these long format interviews with people for my zine i would want it to have a mixtape of songs that they brought up on the episodes <laughs> True. And it's a clever that, idea. Yeah, we live in a lazier era. It's a lazier time. And thus, you have a podcast to listen to and a Spotify playlist to check out rather than a zine yes. and a tape. That's how that's how it goes. Yes, but I, I do think as well, as far as, like, in terms of what I believe the goal of certainly your show overall is, but this... Uh, to make hour, millions of dollars, Chris. Well, <laughs> yes. Aside we from that, but I mean, is, <laughs> as far as as far as our interests, as far as being interested in this music, you know, or, or whatever is associated with it, it is a very uh, efficient way to get this to people that may not have heard things. Like I said, like I learn things on the show every week. Uh, so of course, if I was seeing things completely not uh, from the inside, I would also be appreciative of, of finally getting access to some of that if I didn't know what it was. That's all I mean. Yeah. Never showed that out the weeks before. Anyway. Uh, and I would listen to those Spotify playlists before I listen to the episode because then it sounds really fucking weird. But I think <laughs> once you hear it in context of the episode, you're like, okay, I can see why you're making that jump there. But out of context, they must play very weird. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. I, I'm guessing people do it the uh, the opposite way, not the way you're yep. suggesting. Yep. <laughs> I never thought of that. That is funny because, yeah, this week's in particular is quite uh, quite diverse. It's very diverse. <laughs> it was it was cool to make this playlist in the car with the kids because you know it wasn't just like you know you know the John Reese episode where it's pretty much you know different sounding stuff, but all within a general range um not with this episode <laughs> the uh i'm trying to find it here because i i personally don't have an account i'm trying to pull it up to see what your lineups are on this because i meant to do it to prep for the show oh there we go here we go 
Oh, no, it's your actual episodes here of the podcast. Never mind. Oh, I'll find it another time. But whoever has, uh, they have it, they know how to get it, I would imagine. Yeah, like you go to, if you look up Turned Out of Punk and then the, whatever guest you want to find, you'll find all the other playlists. Um, and I think there's probably some other playlists left on my personal account and probably some things that my kids made even as far as playlists. Or, <laughs> you know, nice. not all of it's Turned Out of Punk content, but there's, there's always stuff to listen to there. <laughs> cool. All right. What uh, was our next move here? What do you want to get into next? I think we got to rip open this mailbag and get into a letter. Okay. So the one letter which we have, which is from, I believe, uh, a week or so back, is uh, the subject is Hardcore Love Songs, and it was sent by Alexander. And it says, uh, talking about Hardcore Love Songs, this is, I don't know if we discussed that. I can't remember what episode that came up, to be honest. It was like two... Yeah, the John Reese one. I don't, I don't remember which one we, but it did get broached this topic of that hardcore does not have love songs, or we couldn't think which songs that you know whatever speak okay. about love. We were talking about Seven Seconds, and I was telling that oh, Trust there we go. Maybe that, might be the yeah. best hardcore love song ever. There we go. Yes, you have a great memory, by the way. I totally forgot. Yeah, that is spot on. It's all the weed uh, I smoke. <laughs> exactly. It's like spinach for your brain. There we go. Uh, but he mentions hardcore love songs. One of the few that he knows uh, he mentions here is Sanctuary by Sick of It All, which was a good mention because yeah. as soon as I read this, I was like, yeah, that is correct. I, I remember that song myself. But uh, he said Sanctuary works on two levels because it's about a girl. Also could be about hardcore itself. It's on the Call to Arms record from 99 on Damien's favorite Fat Records, and uh, which is also probably the first real hardcore record he ever bought, he mentions. And he likes a version that they do of it on Live in a Dive, which I believe – is that not a live series also yeah, by Fat? Fat Records. Yeah, it was yeah. a Fat Records live series that they did. Um, yeah, that's good. That's definitely a good suggestion. I wonder if it was like informed at all by the common song about loving hip-hop, like I used to love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, uh, I believe so, but it, I'm trying to think. It's referenced in – it's oh, the one that kicked what, off the beef with uh, Westside Exactly, Connection. exactly, because that was the weirdest beef ever, and I remember <laughs> the the reference of it. It's still the weirdest beef ever. Actually, if if sidebar <laughs> off off punk for a minute, uh, if anyone has access, I'm sure they're online now. By the way, in some capacity, but the beef DVDs are exceptional, and the I best. recommend them to everybody. <laughs> the best. Um, but yeah, that is the weirdest one to this day, Westside Connection and uh, Common for me. Um, but uh, yeah, that is right because they they took it as some kind of a like a a slight on that West Coast hip hop was not acknowledging you know whatever hip hop in its purest form or some odd nonsense. But yeah, um, I don't think it took cues from that, <laughs> but but it does have a very interesting parallel. Yes, thematically, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> I also think you're the only human being that would make that parallel. Also, <laughs> uh, I'm sure Ebro would too. And I'm trying to think of someone I know from Chicago that likes hip hop and hardcore. I'm not saying that could. Like, yes, there's people that could, but you are the one that would, would. come up with you're that. Right. Anybody. There's things uh-huh. that you can do, but things that <laughs> you probably why bother, and that's where I exist in the why bother side of life uh, also uh if we're talking about hardcore love songs uh there's that floor punch song on the second album you are right that is a good call I, and literally as you said that i thought I, I just felt shame for not thinking of that 
Um, let me look it up right now because I'm terrible with song titles. I feel like it's got some like really obvious title like Forever. So it's not that, but it's something yeah, like that. Yeah, like because it's on uh, Jersey Shore, right? Yeah. Well, Fast Times, pardon me, at Jersey Shore. Um, why is this not coming up? I don't want to walk in the other room to grab the record. Okay. Or is it Shotzi? Is that it? It's Shotzi. No, no, yeah, no. Shotzi's no. Shotzi's a song that we used to cover. In, uh, which one is I'm trying to find it. Time, that's not Time to Heal, No Exception. Change, no. Always. Always. It's always. It's always. You're yeah. right. Yeah, which is running order. I can't remember. I think it looks like it's on the second side, if I remember correctly. It is, but, yeah. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, great record. Good good mention, Dame. I, I I feel terrible for not thinking that myself. That was but like, yeah. people, I remember people like not liking that song. I'd be like, yeah, I can't believe they got this fucking love song on this record. What I will say in hardcore punk music, if you're able to pull off the love song oh, and no, still I don't be think it's hard, always. No? No, because now I'm reading the lyrics for always, and it's like, all of us kids, all no, our stories. Yeah, not, no, no, that's not it. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like it's Shotzi. No, no, Shotzi's like, uh, I think Shotzi's the one that, okay, let's see. Maybe it's time, I can't remember which one, but this record's so great, by the way. If, if you have not heard this record, which I hope you have, anyone listening, it's an excellent record. Fast Time at Jersey Shore. It's been reissued recent <laughs> years, but came out originally on Equal Vision 98. It's been reissued by Six Feet Under a couple years back. Excellent record. Yeah, I don't think it's Shotzi, because, but these choices you've made will grow to haunt you every day is kind of a harsh line for a love True. song. But yeah, there is one on here. There is definitely. I don't definitely. know what... What it is? Is it? It can't be change a heart. No, change a heart's the beef song, right? If I remember correctly. Uh, uh, anyway, it's on this record. I don't remember what song. I'm sure we'll get an email next week if we don't yeah, find we'll it. Definitely out. get. There's like probably like I can I can picture people yelling into their headphones right now. Yes. Also, incredible track one on this record. That's all I got to say. And it's uh, the quintessential, uh, you know, like. Uh, I wouldn't say stab in the back, but the quintessential, like, you, you've dropped out, jam, love it, great song, washed yeah. up at 18. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what was it? Why, why is this song, oh no, it's, diff- it's very different, there's like weird credits for the Change of Heart Floor Punch song on this lyric website that I'm looking at right now. Um, I just, it's funny by... Huey s- Lewis. <laughs> nice. Uh, but there is a song on this record we don't know the title uh i apologize for that i am bad with song titles in general but yeah there's a song on this record that is correct and it is about that um but yeah i I still struggle to think of any others like it, it, it like hardcore that's where the the issue comes right like trying to think of like a a straight up hardcore song like you know um yeah, it's hard, you know. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm like racking my brain right now, trying to think of other ones. Like descent, it's like it depends how. If you start opening it up to like the popier side of things, yeah, you know, and letting letting a little more melody in there, it's you know, it, I think it's a little easier. Of course, yeah. Um, there's of course like the promise by Ringworm, which is very romantic. 
<laughs> Amazing record, by the way. But oh, yes, not it. not how I would characterize it. But yeah. well, I don't know. There's a day of forgiving rain, and the heart opens up in refrain, and you're sleeping <laughs> with them in their grave. It's kind of romantic. Yeah, in a way. It's a, what does that record not? I think it opens with "God is dead," right? Or is it the ending? Such a great does, record. Yeah, the, I think does it open, or is that the demo that opens with that? No, I think it's actually on the record, if I remember correctly. But anyway, excellent record. Great, yeah. another great shout out, Clevo, as well. Yeah, I gotta listen to Ringworm. Like I'm looking at my Ringworm tapes right now, and I'm like, fuck, it's been a while. <laughs> listen to some Ringworm. Yeah, great band, great uh, band. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of some other ones. I, I know there's ones that we're forgetting right now that are really obvious, but yeah. You know what? I'm just going to the to the. Just just typing it into the ones and zeros here. We're going to try and see. See if I can come up with something someone has. This is amazing. You well, okay. So one I found, uh, Sacred Love from the Bad Brains on Eye Against Eye. I don't oh, remember yeah. this song. But yeah, there's one. Well, lyrics are a little interesting. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, um, I don't remember that offhand. This it's a great, amazing. great record, though. This list is amazing. It was the same list that I'm looking at, which has Guns oh, yeah. and Roses and the Casualties oh, yeah, and Kill yep. Switch and Gage on it. Yeah, it's all over the place. Very loose definition of hardcore. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't find too much, What's sadly. This? Oh, I thought I was going to be like, oh, The Oath? Have a song, a love song called Caliban, but no, the band Caliban has a love song called This Oath. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, according to an internet search here as well, it is stating that HR wrote, sorry, recorded Sacred Love from Jail. Apparently. From Jail on the phone. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's like that's like prison hard. Yep. Definitely. There's a, a Valentine's Day list that the Always Punk Pace magazine put together. Um, it's Buzzcocks, Ever Fallen in Love. That's a great one. Yeah, like that. Yeah. That, yeah but I'm like, thinking of. Yeah. Greater song. Not not hardcore in my brain. Not hardcore. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, yeah. The Damned, See Her Tonight. Nice, yeah. Rights of Spring, For Want Of. Um... X, the world's a mess. It's in my kiss. Uh, <laughs> nice. Seven seconds. Trust number five. Ooh, there you go. Um, the descendants. Good, good things. Number six. Uh, yeah, I would say that. That's you know, I was trying to think of like descendant songs. Which would what would be the descendants love song you go with? I don't know. That would. I'm not. I'm not a deep head on Descendants. I can't remember. Again, I don't remember song titles most of the time, but I can't think of one vividly off the top of my head. I'm the wrong person to ask, mind you. Okay, here's a band that I you know I know, but I'm not as familiar with uh, as I should be, probably. Slant 6, Partners in Crime. Don't know that jam either. But yeah, it's another... That's I'm with you on that. Never really dug deep into that, that one. Uh-huh. Uh Sidebar on this topic, I remember a long time ago, in the, the well, early 90s, I guess, just before mid-90s, there was, I don't know if you ever heard this, because I remember hearing it on um, 
whatever on CFNY at the time, and it was the Cupid's Revenge comp of like punk cover. It's not not a cover, sorry. I guess it's like there is a punk cover on it, but it's uh, uh, whatever punk rock love songs. The subtext of it is like the world's most romantic punk songs. Because we've never aired it, Chris, you don't know uh, this, but uh, we talked about it in the Tristan Turn It a Punk episode that we've never put out. But that's actually the first punk CD uh, Tristan and I bought. Nice. Yeah. I definitely got it around that time, too, Like I because of hearing that. But I can't remember what song they played. Uh, they, I think they would have played uh, on CFNY. Uh, I think they played... Uh, I have a date. Could have been, but it's great that the like the dictator song on that too. Of course, it's a cover, <laughs> but um, but some of these I don't know. Jealous, jealous again. I don't really. I no, don't really and like and, feel and, that's and like he, the most offensive thing is that is like on Cupid's Revenge, the world's most romantic punk songs. They have track number six X Johnny Hit and Run Pauline. Yeah, not a love song. Anyone no. who's ever read those lyrics would <laughs> yeah. be mortified to think that someone's considering that a love song in any way. True, and also a shout out to last week and the Vandals references that Vandals are also on this comp. Yeah, with a cover of Summer Nights. Oh, they do but Summer yeah. Nights on it. I thought they did. Yeah. That's right, they do Summer Nights on this. I thought they did. I had a date, but yeah. Anyway, this doesn't provide what I was hoping to, which was look it up and maybe it would have like one or two. But it's like, yeah, you're right. The tone of this is not quite what we're trying to embody with this uh, hardcore love song theme. No, no but the, it's kind of like this is a really sick comp. Like, you know, bullshit love theme aside for some of these songs. But like as a young punk kid, like the first thing I got had the nuns on it and it had the rotters on it and it had like. The simple tones. Oh, that's where it's simple. They have the simple tones. I have a date on it. Yeah, it's the original version. Two, yeah, I think on, I'm pretty positive. I still own this. No joke. <laughs> I kind of want to buy this vinyl version of it. That's I oh, didn't know it came. Oh no, it's a cassette. There's only oh, well, it's I'm, a cassette. I'm, I, someone told yeah. me there was a vinyl version of it. Yeah, well, maybe, but this is there's a cassette one I see. Yeah, but I see the, the I, I still own the uh, the CD the format. The CD format. I'm pretty sure packed away somewhere. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is funny when I look back now because I did listen to this a lot, and some of it didn't really sink in. Like, you, like that next song never jumped out at me for whatever reason at the time. Um, and even like, yeah, it's just funny. I don't remember a lot of this stuff vividly, but obviously the Dictators one. I, I believe they played the Dictators. Honestly, I think on the on the air they was might the have. Yeah, yeah. Which would sort of make sense, but I remember just thinking it was, I don't know, at the time, I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> it's funny, too, because, like, I remember the reason I was hip to that song being, the like, so extreme lyrically is because in that History of Rock and Roll documentary thing that came out way back when that Time Life did, uh, John Doe from X is talking about the turning point for him was playing that song and realizing that the crowds were no longer you know, nodding along with the lyrics. They were now like chanting along with the lyrics and yeah. it became almost like an anthem. So yeah. the fact that I think they would agree to this sync <laughs> for this being on like a romantic love comp with that song. Uh, I imagine, you know, they probably had some discussion with management after if they found out about it. <laughs> the, um, 
your song Johnny Hit and Run Pauline, not the Dictator song. But yeah, oh, yeah, Johnny the, Hit and uh, Run Pauline. Sorry, I've never seen that thing you reference. But no, it's like I'm sure people got it, but I just wanted to make sure if they did. <laughs> it wasn't the it? I Got You Babe cover by the Dictators. No. No, I've never seen that thing you're talking about. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really, uh, it, it it was, you know, like obviously it's a little dated now and, and there's like tons of oversight that, or sorry, there's just uh, stuff they just completely gloss over or miss. But there's really wicked footage and phenomenal interviews with, a lot of the key people. Nice. Um, so yeah, I strongly recommend like, that. And there's another one that came out at the same time. One was called like Rock and Roll, and one was called like The History of Rock and Roll. And one of them had a whole thing about Jonathan Richmond in it. Nice. And it was That's like cool. pre something about Mary. So that was definitely my first exposure to him as as a young kid curious about this world of punk. Yeah, it's funny how those even look at like looking at this comp or what you just mentioned. It's the the stuff that doesn't well for me anyway. I found didn't hit me right away, and then it's the stuff I find that later in life I'm most interested in, ironically, but um, or most intrigued by if I don't know what it is. The Jonathan Richmond being, being a great example. That's something that I did definitely wouldn't have been like clued into until a bit later for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny like. You know, it's funny because I got this comp and I heard this Black Flag song and I'm like, yo, this is sick. (laughs) And then, of course, I bought the process of weeding out for like $40 (laughs) and it was the biggest letdown. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you definitely went on the wrong path accidentally, but um, that that was the journey before. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> spending way too much money on a record you may have forced yourself to like because uh you spent so much money on, i shouldn't even say record cd in this era CD. likely oh 100 it was cd yeah insane and it was pre-hmv cd listening bar so there's no <laughs> hope for me i was going to hear this but i was making the costly mistake of listening to it though i did put a process of weeding out song on the uh abdullah's uh playlist this week I like that record. It's just not what you're, you know, people obviously know, but I know what you're talking about, but I think it's a good record on its own merits. It's just not a good record in, you know, from like listening to Jealous again, going to that. It's just a big jump. You you missed like a lot of steps there to yep. kind of contextualize it properly. I think it's all that stuff is fine on its own, but uh, yeah, it definitely yeah, at that, whatever, at the introductory stage, definitely not the record you want to hear by Black Flag, as we've discussed m- numerous times on this show. Yeah, it's jumping into the deep end. Oh, for sure. I would, I don't even know if it's like, I don't even know if it's like a deep end is enough of an analogy. I think it's like a, a deep end that's a swamp or a tar pit rather than like a pool. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty serious to get into that <laughs> right away. Like it would be like you would you know if you had like got into like Glenn Branca and then you listened to that I'd be like yeah okay you're you're probably okay with that but yeah not from the Cupid's Revenge comp <laughs> yeah not from the Cupid's Revenge comp <laughs> um uh but yeah I think uh, I don't know can you think of any uh, any I'm trying to you know I was hoping that would trigger my brain and trigger my memory but I'm I'm in stumped 
for so sending your punk love songs if you can think yeah of. if anyone knows like especially like hardcore centric because it's yes. bizarre like you don't that's where we're trying to tap into it where i don't think we're making a lot of headway we've got like pretty much three or four examples that again when someone says it i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. but the i cannot think of any <laughs> like it's but i feel like it, there's a slight intention to that because i feel like the the range of emotion hap- tends to be on the negative rather than you know some celebratory whatever love thing in that genre mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. for the most part mm-hmm. i'm sure there's stuff we're forgetting about too but, yeah oh no for sure there is yeah but uh yeah you know, it, it's it's definitely uh it's a tricky genre to write a love song in <laughs> yes <laughs> to say the least yes uh, so um, what do we do? We have any more emails today that we're going to get into? Or we're going to save some stuff for the other day. Trying to think. I think we'll save. I'm just trying to go over things really quickly here to make sure that we're not missing anything real quick. We went over all the the investigation on the Bad Religion show last week. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's some back of the house notes which reference things in the episode, but not as far as emails, not any that I want to get into now or we should, I feel, are relevant at the time. Okay, well, then in that case, uh, I guess we dive into the episode now. Nice. All right, where would you like to begin? Uh, all right, well, uh, um, Abdullah Saeed is someone who I've been kind of friends with for a while now, uh, someone I've been a fan of for even longer, as I kind of mentioned this episode, I only started smoking cannabis in the recent years and kind of coincided with his time doing the Weedekit column. So I would read that and, and it was, you know, a, a real kind of entry point for me to cannabis culture. Uh, he did Bong Appetit, which is one of the coolest shows ever. And certainly a, a show that I'm envious of, uh, him for being able to do because it looked amazing. And, uh, now he's, uh, or he, he has before, but he's also now writing on high maintenance and it just got announced that he's working on a movie and he's got this, uh, killer cannabis podcast as well. And yeah, just someone that, uh, you know, I had no idea was a punk rocker. I knew him from all this stuff, had no idea that he also, you know, had a passion for this music. So when I found out that he did, had to sit down and talk to him in a uh, house in the Hollywood Hills. Nice. And so you're saying like you did know a bit before the interview? No idea. Or you? Oh no. Okay, because that's. Well, I didn't know. Well, obviously, I didn't know. Sorry, readjusting. I didn't know either myself. It's. I always find it uh, amusing when you haven't turned over these stones yet, especially when. I I feel you would have at least uh, probably met before, no? No, I guess we had never met in person before. We had talked a lot, but like, you know, like we we have other things to talk about when we talk. You know? <laughs> this like, is true, yeah, fair enough. Punk is not the first thing that comes up. It's it's normally the cannabis, and then we go from there. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I got to be honest, like I had no idea, and when he kind of mentioned that he was like a punk hardcore kid you know, a fan of this stuff and grew up going to shows and all that. I was like, you got to come on this show because it gives me a chance to, you know, connect two worlds that I love, Chris. No, as always, <laughs> of course, if, if he was only into wrestling, you'd have them all. Um, so where did you, uh, did you want to start into 
something yeah, I got, the top? I have some points. Well, the one thing I found, I just thought of this now, actually, when I was pulling the, the info up. The You mentioned the column, which I'm not familiar with because I don't really read things about that whole jam because it's not my world. But um, I was very intrigued that he said he was, I believe, I don't want to put words in his mouth, I, if my recollection is correct, he said he was trying to channel like a David Sedaris take on those columns, which I found incredibly interesting because I would not have thought that those that would be an association that I would I would put in his world. But I got it as soon as you guys started talking sort of about the nature of those columns, which mm-hmm. admittedly I have not read. But uh, so that was interesting. There was a lot of stuff he revealed in this because I'm only familiar with him from uh, like Vice content, essentially. So there was stuff that, you know, I had limited exposure to that, you know, of course I knew the cannabis stuff because of the shows were whatever popular and yeah. like airing, but, but like I never, there was nothing else he at least ever gave away on those things that I ever noticed that like were little tips. Like he never had like, you know, you'll see people on the odd show or whatever, they'll have like a t-shirt on or a little nod where yeah, you go, oh, okay, this, exactly. And, and he never did. So I was kind of shocked when you were saying that he was even interested in it as well. Um, but anyway, that David Sedaris thing was just the first thing I thought of because it was it's such a an interesting uh, association, and I thought that was actually really cool that he was influenced by that. But um, uh, my first point, what should we go into here? Well, like I'll just feed off Adam before we get into another point. Like I think, yeah, yeah. like you know, like we t- there's all these stereotypes people have of stoners, or you know, people that smoke cannabis constantly. And one is that they're not that quick and they're not that bright. You know, there's obviously a stereotype that yeah. I hope that I stand in the face of in defiance. But, you know, maybe <laughs> I don't. But I think that he definitely <laughs> does. You know, I think he's someone that, uh, you know, totally, uh, you know, totally uh, disproves this notion that everyone that smokes cannabis on a regular basis is going to be somewhat dim-witted or, or unable to kind of like – you know, keep up intellectually. I get what you mean. I, I, I do think you both do. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit there. But I also feel that you're both seemingly, anyway, again, not knowing him, but uh, highly ambitious people. And I think that is not something that's typically associated with that stereotype either. Um, so, yeah, it is an interesting – I never thought of that. But, again, I, I never paid a great amount of attention to that content that he did on that stuff because it just wasn't of my interest. But mm-hmm. – um, but yeah, I did find it, it was interesting when he started kind of talking about that. I just thought that thought the idea of the columns was really interesting, but also that he seemingly, if I traced it back correctly, heard it like he actually started doing music coverage first, though, mm-hmm. and it and it then it sort of whatever pivoted into the the cannabis stuff. Yeah, it's like it's funny because you know obviously I I work there, but you know I I, I don't work there. I'm a freelancer there, but. Uh, Vice, it's it's now it's like, you know, there's noisy and people, you know, noisy is the music platform for Vice. But at the time, like, Vice and music was like almost inseparable. Yeah, well, I, like the magazines, I always remember seeing yeah. things that like before before the like the real online content ramped up, even before their first like version of the whatever like the their YouTube thing, the original if you will. Viceland. Yeah, which was incredible. Oh, no, VBS um, was the original TV station. And VBS TV, Viceland yeah, was great. the original website. Yeah, exactly. But the, um, whatchamacallit, the, uh, I can't remember the point I was trying to make there. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. With the magazine, I always remember, like, the reviews were always really not in-depth, but they were always on the pretty pretty much always on the cutting edge of, of catching cool stuff and at least like reviewing it in some manner if not like doing like a little editorial kind of thing so i never knew if that was all freelanced i just as, had assumed at the time like reading the magazine over the years like for a fairly long time that it was always the, just the internal staffers that did it now i'm understanding that it, it was a lot of freelance activity you know that i wasn't aware of yeah from, like, like way back. it's amazing to go through and like see who wrote at that magazine, you know, and, like, who was there. Like, the, the rap editor was, uh, what's his name from Chromio? I don't know his name, but, uh, The main okay. guy, like, one of the main, well, there's two dudes. Like, what? Not the <laughs> yeah, one dude, the yes. other dude. Um, <laughs> but he was busted nut. <laughs> yeah. Their, their hip-hop reviewer who, I remember, challenged Jedi Mind Tricks to a freestyle battle. <laughs> Like in, in one of the issues and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it, it's it's funny. And like, and anybody said, like, you know, they had punk on lock, but they didn't have the type of music he liked on lock. And I think that's, that's the thing is they've, you know, that's why they're always, like you said, there's, they're kind of good at catching that stuff as it comes up. It's because there's always like a new generation of kids showing up being like, yeah, you're not really covering this thing that I love. Very true. Yes. And, uh, it's funny that uh, that comment I found interesting in particular because I, perhaps naively, I always felt slightly opposite. I always liked the magazine, but I always felt – I remember when they really started to cover punk for real, yeah. seemingly, like especially when you guys and, and CS got in it. Career suicide, pardon me, that is for non-short form people who aren't local. But uh, <laughs> uh, the – I remember for the longest time thinking that they didn't really give enough credit. Like they would cover punk things in it, but usually the reviews like of the stuff they'd get in didn't seem to ever be like a punk record, or at least they didn't seem to give it any credence. Uh, anyway, whatever. But so I believe that sort of hit a certain era and then they started from yeah. my recollection. But um, so it was funny kind of hearing that because I, I felt opposite for a long time and I thought, oh, wow, they've caught up in the, and they, you know, they eventually sort of swallowed it all up, if you will. But um yeah, anyway, I just thought I just thought his take was interesting. I never thought of him as a music first guy and I never thought of him as like someone who was involved with it and just happened to, you know, kind of like fall into the the cannabis thing. I thought that would have been always been his uh whatever, his main thing. It's funny cuz like Ricardo Baca who's um he, I guess he's kind of known as the first professional cannabis journalist is like the title he's kind of given been given. A first cannabis editor, I should say. Um, and he was the editor for the Denver newspaper. And they put him in charge of the cannabis section. But he was another guy that was writing about music. And they just empowered people. It seems like, you know, there's just a stereotype of people in music that they're all stoners. <laughs> <coughs> like, oh, just give it to the guy in music. He smokes weed. <laughs> yeah. I think perhaps at a time that was a very, yeah, I could see that. It's I don't I yeah I think it's the the idea of the creative stereotype if you will as well so yeah there's that and it also shows I think the changing perception of cannabis now that when newspapers are hiring these cannabis editors they're not going to the music section anymore they're going to the financial section. <laughs> that is well said yes as you kind of uh, talk about in the latter end of the uh, the episode yeah. I thought actually weirdly enough like it not related to punk I thought all that stuff you guys were talking about was really really 
good and interesting to to hear from a perspective of someone because that's someone who I I just have no interest in that you know not to I'm not throwing shade I just it's not my world so I'm aware of it but not to the level where you guys are speaking of you know I I just thought his take about being skeptical of like the the legalization aspect mm-hmm. was really really interesting really apt and I think uh, when you're talking about him being like quick witted and and like not you know not dim in terms of like really really uh you know being an intellectual that can break something down i thought his points in that latter bit were incredible about the present state of of like the the economic force behind the cannabis thing and perhaps why it should be questioned and et cetera et cetera and so it's it's i thought you guys summarized that very well actually i think that whatever it was that that five minute section i think like, this is like the perfect embodiment of what people should listen to in terms of this thing you could put this up and this uh, this settles the arguments for for the pros and cons immediately but um as some again admittedly as someone outside of the circle yeah but, like, uh, go on yeah, anyway, go on. no no go on that was my point it's it's a it's a weird time like there's a there's a prevailing kind of sentiment in sentiment in cannabis right now uh not everyone but among certain people in cannabis that it was better under Harper than it is under Trudeau when it comes to weed. And we're just seeing how it's going to go under Trudeau with cannabis. Like we're at this, you know, like we're at the cusp of legalization. But I think when legalization comes, you look at other jurisdictions that legalized and it's going to, I think this is going to be one of the the less exciting places to see it come to. You know, I think the, the government's restrictions they put on the market are going to be stifling. Um, and I don't think it's going to do anything to kind of slow down their, this much sort of feared black market that they're trying to shut down. Yeah. And it's, they're going to still be locking up people for weed. Like you look at like legal jurisdictions and they're still locking up, you know, racialized people, be it black or Hispanic people at incredibly disproportionate numbers for cannabis. And it's legal in these places. Yeah, I thought that point was really like particularly the line where he said he was he was trying to summarize, I believe it was whatever Denver, mm-hmm. whatever the, the and he was talking about how the the actual like you know the angle of that that angle didn't appeal to people mm-hmm. the the guerrilla capitalist capitalist angle did and that's what you know kind of pushed forth this change of the guard on it and so it's it's it kind of has like a whatever like not the not the greatest taste you know uh doesn't leave the greatest taste with with even though it's you know succeeding if you will in some regards it still has that sort of uh history to it i don't know how else to to characterize it but yeah yeah Yeah, it's gonna be it's going when it's legalized it's gonna be a long time before people are able to get over the stigma around it and like it's gonna be and, and just sort of the internalized like i still have weird internalized cannabis guilt you know, about smoking cannabis. Like I've, you know, if I drank, I think I'd have no problem having a glass of wine in front of my kids, but I would never, I've never smoked weed in front of my kids. Yeah, it is. It's, that is an interesting point. I never thought of that before. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Just, it's just, and it's, I don't like, again, and it's, it's, yeah. And yeah, I even, even myself have it arguably, but like it's anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a very interesting time to see this happen, and it's going to be, you know, there could be really cool things to happen. Like we could hit a point, 
and we could reevaluate how we criminalize drugs overall. You know, and I don't consider cannabis the same thing as I consider, you know, real heavy drugs. But if you look at like traditional sort of historical, you know, usage of of psychedelics and things like that, like people have used these things for medicinal purposes, you know, for for centuries. And if someone's able to kind of find something from one of these drugs as opposed to a heavy duty pharmaceutical, which has real long term repercussions for some people as far as addiction and things, then maybe, you know, maybe acid and, and mushrooms aren't that bad. You know, if it keeps going off opiates, you know, and opioids and they're, you know, and it helps them deal with trauma. Like there's all, you know, God, I know people that are, 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 you know, spending good money, like people that are involved in the medical field and spending good money to go to places like Peru and, to do ayahuasca trips to try and deal with some psychosis that they can't, they haven't been able to find any help with or, or some sort of mental impasse, whatever it is that they haven't been able to find any help from in, you know, this sort of, I don't know, medical world that we are living in. The, the pharmaceutically driven pharmaceutical, medical yeah, world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But gotcha. even, even therapy, like these people haven't been able to find any help from talk therapy and sort of other things that we kind of, rely on like but it's yet you know this this thing that's been ingested by people for centuries at this point to help them you know deal with all sorts of things and you know people are are, are you know spending thousands of dollars to to go and experience this kind of medicine so you know maybe it's going to be through cannabis legalization that we come to a greater awareness about all this sort of stuff yeah i think that's an out point i think it it likely will be the, this perhaps the sea change in, in a certain respect. I don't, again, none of this is my world to comment on as an expert <laughs> at all, nor is punk for that matter. But, uh, no, <laughs> but yeah, believe me, none, none, none of us are qualified to be experts in anything. Yeah. Except for Pokemon. <laughs> I don't get that one. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I just figured we'd be experts in Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know if that was like a reference no, to your kids that I didn't get. <laughs> well, they play Pokemon. Well, they don't play it. They just collect them. But they, they have a lot of these Pokemon cards. Nice. Well, hey, that's, you know, that's the thing. So be it. Um, I guess next point or should you want to? Yeah. Let's get on some music jams since mm-hmm. we've covered the uh, the whole world of, of what I think he represents in, in large ways pretty well there. Um, one thing I want to shout out really quick was... He mentions again in his trajectory, I believe he says he's he was in a group. I don't remember if it was the Popo group or whatever, but one of those groups, Philly-based, where he mentions uh, the project More Mother, which is spelled M-O-O-R, Mother. But um, someone involved with More Mother was, I guess, in the group he was in or something. Anyway, uh, when we, you and I, were at the uh, our tour which took place in late 2016 uh, when we were in New York at the Rough Trade um, record shop in Brooklyn. Uh, weirdly enough, when we were browsing, they were playing this over the like you know, over the speakers. And I thought it was really, really interesting. And it ended up being a more mother record called Fetish Bones. And I asked what it was because I was, well, I guess I didn't have whatever. Normally people now just Shazam it or whatever, but I, I had asked. But, and I found out what it was, but... So I'd been interested ever since. I was 
I just thought it was intriguing that he mentioned that because I, I didn't know anything. I still don't really know anything about this group or this person, but um, I thought it was funny that he had a association to that, and it was something that I actually related to a show experience uh, with this podcast. Go figure. So anyway, yeah. So that Fetish Bones record is interesting if you like uh, kind of like experimental. It's it's stylistically listed here as sound collage, lo-fi, hip-hop, ambient noise, experimental. So take of that what you will. But uh, it's on Don Giovanni from 2016. If you're interested, I, I thought it was a very interesting record. Don Giovanni, too. Like that, isn't that the Screaming Females record? Yeah. Well, that's interesting that that I don't. Like yeah, I don't know who runs it. It's one of those things where I thought it was interesting, too, because of that association. I'd only ever known uh, sort of their – well, I shouldn't say introductory. Apparently. Oh, no, there is – anyway, the earlier releases, I remember they had like, you know, like like whatever, early to mid-2000s sort of punk, hardcore-centric stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it's seemingly – again, I don't know anything about this label, so I'm generalizing, but it, it's they seem to have branched out. But I just thought it was really interesting. It was the last thing I expected to be something on this label, and then also, you know, I just I just thought it was really like a really interesting listen. But it is weirdly, you know, we were browsing you and I. I remember like I remember thinking like, what the hell are they playing? Because like there's some moments that are pretty edgy, and I just thought they were like they were blaring it in the in the place, and I just thought this is kind of wild. I want to see what this is. But yeah, anyway, like, yeah, I, I love this episode because it's one of those ones where I'm like. I'm doing this playlist and I'm checking out bands that I've never heard of. And, you know, once again, I, there's, I know there's a lot of shit I haven't heard of. But it's still cool to, like, be like, oh, shit, there's this band that has an incredibly extensive discography and is obviously hugely important and valid. And I've never heard of them. So, like, let's dive in. <laughs> like, let me learn about the Corminas. Let me learn about this stuff. You know, like, I, I, I love doing this show because it's like... You, you there's this discovery that I kind of get every time I do it. I I feel the same. Yeah, I I think that one in particular like if we want to jump into another like the real point is like if we want to talk about the Corminas a bit because that's another one I like when I'm totally blindsided and and I'm not familiar at all with something. Like mm-hmm. like I've usually we dabble enough where at least I've, you know, heard tell of something or or have some familiarity, but I had zero when he brought that up, I was like, why don't I, I've never heard of this. And then when I looked it up, as you and I discussed pre going on air here, if you will, um, it's because they had no official like releases that are physical tactile. I don't believe, well, no, they have a CD, but they're not on any label. I don't know how their distribution is or whatever, which he kind of gets into on the episode, the idea that they don't really get the, um, whatever you want to say, the recognition perhaps because of, the, you know the 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 makeup of the group and the perception of the group, if you will. Um, but yeah, it, it's so I checked out the one record after listening to the interview, the Wild Nights in Guantanamo Bay, which is their first one from two thousand eight. Yeah. Which if you if you do enough sleuthing online, you can find uh, on the tube, and it's got some like it's it's sort of all over the place sonically, which is not quite my bag, but there's some real interesting points of it. And I was discussing with you earlier. I think when they do the sort of punk garage thing they're quite good but it's again i'm just amazed i've never ever heard of this until he mentioned it well the the thing about the comin is is like they're one of these bands that like since finding out about them i've been bringing them up to people like you know this band and you know i'm met with two reactions like either people are like how do you not know them or people are like no i have no idea what you're talking about 
and it's yeah they're they're hugely important like the people that know them this band is is one of the most important bands of the last 10 years yeah like see like that you know again i have zero familiarity beyond like you know literally in the last 48 hours hearing them but um yeah it's it's just it's a really interesting thing because you know it's not that i shy away from trying to look for anything that is like bizarre like it's certainly my world as you know not mm-hmm. that this is bizarre by any nature but it is a bit uncommon the, the makeup of the group and sort of the the themes that they touch on it's also right up my alley but it's it's just really insane that i never ever heard of this before even like mentioned in a vice article or anything I, they, they probably have been but i you know i just somehow missed this whole thing yeah they're but, definitely uh, there's that documentary that came out um a few years ago now I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, but they're, they're in the documentary. Um, but I, I hadn't seen the documentary to be honest. So I was reading about it. Like this must've been 2005. Like what were we doing, Chris? 2000. Well, it says they formed in 05, but the, the releases start in 08. So yeah, that when I think back on that period, I mean, 05, I'm thinking of like, you know, still like Toronto being the absolute epicenter in my opinion of, contemporary hardcore punk but um but yeah like i don't know it's just it's a bizarre like when i look at the timeline it doesn't make sense i wouldn't have heard of this either being that this these were the years when i was sort of whatever traveling more in a band context and would have likely you know encountered something at some record store or some like mention in a music magazine of some kind or whatever but again maybe it speaks to a part of my just you know tunnel vision perhaps it, it speaks to the idea that maybe this band doesn't get coverage as it should mm-hmm. it sort of alludes to and you know i think maybe that's the only thing i could chalk it up to and from my view you know obviously not wanting to take you know any flack for being lazy but um anyway i just thought it was really interesting like it's the jams are not all for me sonically but there is some stuff that's certainly quite good and yeah, i w- it should all be and i'd love to see it coming on vinyl yeah, it's just, it's very bizarre that there's like a, a blatant lack of like releases. When you think nowadays the amount that people put things out, yeah, and the, the the ease in which records seem to come out now, and this is a band that again is is very topical as well. Well, actually, like even calling that first record "Wild Nights in Guantanamo Bay" alone, mm-hmm. you know, should definitely peak some peak some eyebrows. Like it's it's they're definitely. They definitely like to provoke a bit, which I think is awesome. So it's uh, anyway, yeah. I just I, I think it's they're they're it's crazy that I am not familiar with them up until literally this interview, and that's what I love about the show, finding out about this kind of stuff where I don't know why I didn't know it. Yeah, nor did I. Nor, and, uh, and and now I do, and it's yeah, it's like it's great to have this kind of you know like be able to make this kind of you know and and to live in the era. Like I know as much as we kind of harken back to the old days and love of record stores and everything like that but man what a cool world that you hear about a band and like two seconds later you're listening to them yeah that it, it, yeah that's actually perfectly stated because that would have been if we didn't yeah i wouldn't have been able to hear them and no, then i would it, just it, be going yeah. off of like oh i wonder if this is sick or not or whatever yeah but um yeah like in the, they even have a release well there's a cassette version of their latest release that came out last year Mm-hmm. on a label called the population imprint the record's called stereotype which is again a great title for an album contextually as well from from what they're doing but um 
I heard a couple like a, a couple songs off that, and it's really good. So it's I don't know. I just I don't get how it's not out there more, and uh, it kind of makes me a little saddened slightly. <laughs> that yeah. I think the reasons that he highlights are probably accurate, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and and like you know, but then once hopefully you know him getting the increased profile and talking about this, it's going to get them some more awareness and circles outside of the circles that they're already really important in. Cause as I said, like there's some people that I talk to that are like, how the hell do you not know this band? They're fucking huge. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, okay. No, I did not know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is one of those things too, where it's, it's just, there's an aspect of this that somehow they, they, are in a scene or, or came to be synonymous with a scene that somehow is not mine. I don't really understand how that would be, but yeah, like it's because again, I don't, yeah, the but, years don't add up why I don't know. this. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, but there's also people like, you know, I was talking to, you know, our friend, Andy, Andy, uh, friend of the show, Andy Nelson, also at the, uh, aforementioned, uh, turned out a punk live tour was a guest. Yep. Uh, yep. he was, he was you dark know, like, blue. Yeah, Dark Blue, uh, the, a fantastic band of, you know, uh, Painted Black, another f- amazing band. And, like, he was in Kin Dynamite, too. No, no, Lifetime. Of course. Lifetime. Yes. He was in Lifetime. Yeah. And yeah. he is, uh, yeah, but he wrote me and was like, oh, I can't believe, uh, I can't believe that, uh, you know, like, there's this, like, uh, the Comina's uh, Abdullah connection. Like, he's just, like, shocked at this thing. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's real. Nice. Yeah, like so. Anyway, it's just cool. I th- I figured we needed to discuss this band a little bit, although admittedly you and I aren't deep on them. But I just think it's a really cool group. I'd love to see them live. They look like they're a good live group too. So, anyway. Um. Yeah. So uh, next point is I think it's your point, or is George should want me to go or? Um. Let me see. Well, we can do the kind of non-punk related points, which sure. uh, let's do. We want to talk briefly about. Uh, or I guess I'll show it because you mentioned it in the interview and I firmly back you on the slightly hot take, but I believe historically accurate idea that LP (laughs) from, of course, formerly company flow now run the jewels and, and, uh, cannibal ox and whatever. Uh, or maybe was he in cannibal ox or just produced it? I can't remember. Anyway, those produced it. Yeah. Anyway, Def Jux in that whole world. Yeah. Uh, which is like classic early 2000s, uh, whatever. And yeah, when you guys were speaking of that and his sort of influence and the idea that he sort of gets underappreciated in a weird way, because Run the Jewels are certainly an enormous group and he's certainly, you know, not underappreciated, but I think he's underappreciated in the manner of which, uh, for being like an, like a proper MC and a proper producer in a way that, you know, whatever, like he, he doesn't get the credit at first that the other people do where, where he should is my opinion. I thought that was really spot on and company flow is incredible. Um, but yeah, I thought that element of the interview was great. (laughs) The, the hip hop talk was excellent, but, uh, it is funny now seeing these people get like pretty high esteem because the the run the jewels again is huge. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just funny that people, came to that group or for whatever reason you know whatever gravitated toward that group and perhaps maybe weren't even aware of the whole whatever previous 10 15 years it's weird because that's like almost like a forgotten time you know like that period like 
early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s, like, it's funny because, like, yeah, like, Company Flow is, I would say, like, almost uh, like a Fugazi level of kind of underground band group. I get what you mean, yeah. I get what you mean, yeah. Like they were huge. Like, they were written up in all sorts of magazines. Like, Vice, the aforementioned early incarnations of Vice, I remember reading about them in and stuff. And, uh, you know, they did that all-instrumental EP. I only have the, whatever, the main, whatever Fun it's Crusher called. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, there we go. But, uh, yeah, like, which, actually, that's funny. I didn't realize that that was, I always thought everything that they did was on Def Jux, but that was on Rockus. That's No, crazy. they were a Rockus group uh, yeah. before that. And then there's that, like... There's that line. He's got some crazy line, like I forget what it is, but then be signed to Ruckus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah wow, they, you know what? It's funny. Even looking at this now, I didn't realize they. I thought they were like more late '90s. Their first thing is what '96. Single is '94. Wow. Yeah, '94. I, didn't I was even know that. '94. I thought they started. Yeah. See, I only came to know it slightly later, but it was in that era. But, um, yeah, so even I'm not giving enough credit <laughs> in hindsight. But uh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting that he talked about that world and being in- influenced by it. And specifically now that we can trace the idea of, you know, what, say, a Run the Jewels is now and what that came from is quite interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's – it's I, I don't know. I love I, – I love Company Flow and I love these early records. Um, and there's certainly like lyrics that I'm sure LP himself would not be, you know, a fan that he wrote now and like probably wishes he could change. Um, but it's still like, it's still like what a, what an amazing kind of like legacy. Like have you ever heard that song, Linda Tripp? Uh, not that I have recollection of. I may have heard if it's on that, whatever the LP reissue thing, but the, uh, not offhand. I don't think it's on anything but the internet. And it was like him calling up and taping himself confronting this guy that had done a diss track on him. That was like oh. <laughs> I think it was what the song was. Well, I remember speaking of beef, I remember there was like, I, I feel like it was with him and one of those like, um, I'm trying to think of the label. Oh, it was the other... I feel like it was maybe Anticon, one of those labels that had mm-hmm. an artist on it that he beefed with. And that was kind of like the weird, like, again, this is very early 2000s, late 90s stuff. But there was some, yeah, I do recall, I don't remember who it was, but uh, I do recall something about that. And so, no, I haven't heard that, but I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it's it's pretty, uh, it's pretty harsh. <laughs> it's like a pretty harsh song. <laughs> I can um, imagine, yeah. But like the integration of this guy trying to backpedal out of the beef he's gotten himself into, gotcha. On top of the song, it's it's awesome. It's truly like one of the great diss songs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. The uh, but anyway, I don't don't know where to go with this in relation to punk per se. But I just thought that was an interesting uh, little tidbit of info that you guys broach so why not talk about it it's also funny because paul berman he brings up too and that's another guy that's kind of like just forgotten about now but you know i was never as much of a fan but he was fucking huge yeah it's another one i knew by name but i i never really followed it it's funny there was uh (laughs) one of the daves had commented in the back of the house messages regarding that and uh 
it, I get on. I guess because Dave's in the sort of the hotbed or has been in this era. I don't remember it as big, at least here, and maybe you do. I don't. I don't remember like remember it being like annoyingly big. I think also they were really close to it, like Matador, basically because that's where Dave was at at the time. Uh, yeah, they put out that MC Paul Barman record, right? Ah, uh, uh, maybe that's okay. I never thought of that. I don't. I'll look it up right now. But yeah, I don't. I didn't. Uh, I just thought it was funny because I again I'd heard it in passing. Nothing I'd ever really focused on. Like, but anyway, go on. No, no, I was going to say it's funny because like yeah, like that Matador for a while. Uh, was going to become like a, a rap label, or put, it certainly had like three big rap artists for a moment. Well, yeah, in the, the late '90s, they did some really kind of interesting stuff. Actually, speaking to this era, because they put out a, I believe they put out an Arsonists record. Yep, they did the Arsonists, and they realm. did, they did. Uh, I think they did a techno animal record, which by name doesn't sound like it's a rap thing, but it, it kind of is, with the dude from Godflesh or whatever. And there was another one they did. They did like a few because they they had all these. Didn't they do the Dalek record, like a Dalek record? Or I think they did what? a Dalek. They did a few because yeah, they did. The, I think they did the Dalek record. Um, did they do a Mister Lens solo record too? Well, let's look it up. I'm just looking right now. I'm just going to go in that early 2000s and go to town here. But yeah, so there was there was an era that people may not remember. Uh, you know, of our age, we will. But the where they were really kind of going at this stuff. I think that actually speaks to the era as well because I don't, you know, so there's certainly a lot of, you know, rap that's, like, you know, popular and in, in the, you know, the zeitgeist now. But it, there was this weird, it was like this alternative rap boom, if you will. I don't know how else to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of whatever this crap we're talking about. I shouldn't say crap. It's not bad. But it's just whatever this, you know, all of these things embody at the time that it was really popping off. But um, I'm trying to find – I'm trying to go forward to the years where we uh, – I'm going to re- redo my search here. But yeah, so there's a bunch of records they did though. I can't yeah. remember what, I, what you were going to mention. Nonfiction, to... I think too. Yeah, it could be. They did a nonfiction record. Anyway, they, they, it's really uh, – it, it's definitely an amazing time for underground kind of rap, I guess, hip-hop. There was yeah. – yeah, because it, it – it was bubbling over. Yeah, I agree. Like it's it's just funny now because I think your point earlier about the idea of it being sort of a uh, like a forgotten era in a way we've spoken about in the past, and I do believe that's accurate. Not that any of this stuff is is like wholly forgotten, but you know the amount that people cite some of this stuff these days doesn't seem to be frequent. Mm-hmm. Like like I don't see you know articles about these groups right now out of nowhere as some kind of revival thing mm-hmm. and maybe it maybe it will come but i just think like a lot of what was happening in that time like again around the whatever 2000 late 90s is laid the foundation for what you're hearing in a lot of especially the production in a lot of rap music now like i, I hear it big time because I, I think that's when you started seeing like real like electronic experimentation. I realize it's always been there, going back to Africa Bambata, but it was in a way that never, you know, even LP specifically is a very interesting one because I think he really laid a foundation that a lot of people weren't touching on. Even if you look at what he did, as opposed to someone like the RZA at the time, it was completely different. I'm totally going on a rant here about hip hop, which is weird, but anyway, that was my uh, two cents on that. Where would this show be without rants, Chris? 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, so I found a few here. Arsonists, yeah, Mr. Len, they did do a Mr. Len record. They did f- three uh, Mr. Len records, it looks yeah, like. Yeah, 2001, Arsonist was in 01 as well. They did, I'm just trying to find, they did definitely more than this, because I remember these like 12 inches they did. Um, yeah, Techno Animal, Brotherhood of the Bomb, great record, 01. Um, yeah. So anyway, there was there was a lot of that. I can't yeah. find everything, but yeah, we were correct. I'm looking on the resource, and I am vindicated. <clears throat> um, I guess uh, at risk of going into another uh, 15 minute rap uh, conversation, <laughs> uh, I guess we'll go to the next point. Um, yeah, man. Literally. And I, I was going to say. Uh, this is jumping way back, but Alien Workshop, were you a fan of it? <laughs> Great reference. Um, not like not in a real way. I definitely remember it being a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I was first sort of like, I shouldn't say first, but like my earlier years being intrigued with skateboarding, I thought it was like a slightly cool thing at the time, particularly because I thought the idea of them using like like an alien motif was like an interesting thing. But, uh, yeah, I never really got like firmly into it, like got into their, their team or their videos or anything. But yeah, you're, it, I did think that mention was really interesting <laughs> when he talked about it being like a big deal where I can't remember where he was living at the time, but In Thailand. he talked about, it. yeah, like that's wild to me. It, it, I, Tristan was a huge fan, my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. So yeah. hit him up on Facebook if you have any old alien, alien workshop gear to sell. <laughs> but I always thought it looked like a little <clears throat> raver. Oh, no, totally did. And that was it, – so it was slightly – I mean from again, never – like I've, I like skateboarding. I've always considered myself like interested in it, not really firmly like a, a adherent to it if that makes any sense. But yeah. – um, but so aesthetically, yeah, it did have an interesting – I think that it was just so different. And you're right. It was kind of that weird um, whatever, like 90s rave-like thing was was weirdly associated. But I also think that maybe that slightly like co-opted it aesthetically a little too. I don't know if that was Alien Workshop or that was the other way around. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you're right. I do, I do remember that association. But I thought initially it just was an interesting aesthetic. I'm trying to think of other companies at the time that were really like, like had a had an aesthetic that was as bold that weren't like the old traditional skating brands. But, but yeah, it's funny. Like just the mention of that brand, which I don't even know if it exists anymore. Actually, all right. Um, well, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to get to this week, Chris? Let me see here. I had a few written points. Yeah, actually, uh, again, not the most punk thing, but uh, a very cool thing. He drops Now Again Records, which is a Stone's Throw subsidiary, he mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but he mentions uh, particularly Witch, this band Witch, which is uh, like W-I-T-C-H, of course. Um, I'm only familiar with this record called Introduction, but it's exceptional if you like, you know, sort of out there you know, whatever, like, I don't know what it would be considered, but it's great, uh, African group. But, um, anyway, great label and they've done a lot of awesome issues. So if you're like a total, whatever connoisseur, like, like Damien and I, you might, if you don't know this label already, you might be hard, you might be uh, interested to check out some of the stuff they do. I, they did one of my favorite reissues last year of a band called German Oak, 
of a record called Down in the Bunker. It's like a psych record. It's incredible. But um, yeah, I thought that was a cool shout out. I don't know. Do you have any of this stuff? Do you like any of this stuff? I, I don't have any of this stuff, but I, I dig it, you know, when I hear it, um, you know, and I should. It's one of those things that now it's just so hard to kind of like stay focused on what you want to collect. This is true, especially with the reissues being like off the hook all the time, often not needed. But yeah, this one in particular was like a weird record that like is was super expensive and it got like this deluxe reissue or whatever. The one I was speaking about, the German Oak record. But yeah, it's um. anyway, it's just a cool I thought it was a cool shout out. I, th- I think like his like musical tastes are are like a lot of it is in league with me, which I was very impressed about. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to meet him one day and chat some music. I think it would go well. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think he's like, he'd be a good guy. I think we'd have an awkward session though with you there. <laughs> well, no, it would be like, I would see you guys after the session. You'd or have something. to wear like, you'd be like in, uh, the boy in the bubble. <laughs> sure yeah and like in a giant bubble in the vape you know what just just facetime me that'll work <laughs> <laughs> oh my god chris we got to do that where you come in a live air bubble or like a full-on like old school scuba suit sure <laughs> why not <laughs> uh you know what chris if you're high these visuals are amazing to think about which visuals? What are you talking about? You coming out in a scuba suit oh, during the live a... <laughs> uh, Turn It a Punk Oil and Flowers crossover, Turn It a Punk Footnotes crossover event. Spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, well, I don't know if I would be so intrigued to wear that, but, uh, you know, if the if the money's right one day, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's why we got to get a Patreon going to raise enough money to make Chris wear <laughs> a giant, uh, or like an astronaut suit. Yeah, something that will that will, you know, whatever, keep me away from the <laughs> the marijuana, the things I don't want to ingest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna work on that and the Patreon. You know, we got a lot to do in 2018. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, any any other points, Chris? No, I'm good. That was my list. That was the only ones I wanted to make sure to get to. Yeah, we touched on everything. So unless you got something to go on, I'm good. All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, I think we're going to move on into uh, uh, the future. But uh, it, thank you once again. Abdullah is by far one of the coolest people I know. This was a fun episode to get to do. And he's going to be back for multiple parts in the future. And Chris will be wearing a uh, like a giant sumo suit that people do those fake sumo wrestling things in, but with like an oxygen tank on the top. <laughs> I guess sure. We'll, have, we'll figure it out. Um, and uh, I guess next week on the show, my friend Autry's coming on from the band uh, that I know you're a fan of, and you'll know us by the Trail of the Dead. Uh, uh, and uh, he also Dead Heavens. And uh, or no, uh, sorry, not getting my Walter bands uh, confused. Vanishing Life and. Uh, yeah, one one of the coolest people I know in music. He, he tours with, you know, tour manages a lot of cool artists as well, and uh, it's a fun episode. Cool. Looking forward to it. Um, and that's it. Chris, anything else you want to add this week, buddy? No, man, I'm good. I think, this, I think we nailed it. I think we nailed it. I think we did it. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening. And uh, where do they send us those emails again, Chris? 
turned out of punk footnotes at gmail.com. And uh, that is, will do it for us until next week. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, we will see you on uh, turn out of punk. Goodbye. Shortly thereafter on the tour we were on with them, they got, they started getting really, you know, like popular. So it was like a, became a bit of a different animal, but that early, those early West coast, uh, little run with them was yeah very much what he was discussing anyway i just wanted to verify that that i actually lived through a bit of that what he was talking about such a weird <laughs> period for hardcore totally you know? like it was definitely yep. like you know things things you know like a lot of times you look back and you're like uh things things are not as good as now as they were back then things are kind of better now than they were during that period yeah, it, I think it just depends on, you can highlight any one thing and, and take either example. You know, like, I can look back then and say, like, I bummed I never got to see, like, Knife Fight. <coughs> for, oh, no, that's not even true. I did get to see Knife yeah. Fight in the first seven inch here. But I never got to see Knife Fight in L.A. But, like, you know. When but, you guys were playing with them. Yeah, but that's you the know, thing. I wish I did. You know, Knife Fight never got the reception. They probably did at some shows. But, like, <laughs> the reception they received in my mind was better than any of the live receptions I ever saw them receive. Yeah, I, I played you know with them saying? again later uh, in 2012, and they started, again, by no means were they getting receptions like what we're discussing, like the early 2000s, like whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. um, I remember playing with them, and they were getting finally, like they were like the mainstay group uh, like whatever the LA group or whatever you want to say it, that was actually getting, you know, they were getting like a good number of people that seemed to be going ape for them. But I don't, um, I never got to see them on their home turf, like on that first, you know, that first run. So I never, I don't, you played with them, but I don't, uh, but that's what I mean. Like I highlight that and I go, well, that, you know, to me, that was better. But than than a lot of what I see now. But, and I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I just, that was more inspiring to me. However, um, yeah, there's, I mean, I, there's a lot of great records that came out last year that I like more than, you know, probably the vast majority of what was coming out in the early two thousands. Yeah. There, so, was, there was like a weird kind of like, you know, there's obviously some cool stuff coming out in this period, but like, you know, now there's, it seems like there's a consistent, like no matter what you're into now, there's something for you. At any given yeah, time. that's true. Yeah. Um, but definitely. Definitely, uh, I gotta go back and check out some hard mosh Avenge Sevenfold. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. Like again, I don't. <laughs> I'm no expert. I just remember like seeing them in that era when I didn't know who they were and wasn't aware of like that. You know, and then I you know quickly realized okay, this is a band because I think like uh, might as well look it up now in the resource. But um, I think Nitro put out that big record, right? I think. Nitro, they were on Hopeless before that, so maybe they... Or maybe it was Hopeless. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so this will tell you. this. This are, Okay, so the big record that... So this would have been 2003, I'm talking <coughs> about. So 2002 and 2003, this is the years I'm, I'm talking about. The first thing they did, or maybe not the first thing, but, ba- well, either of the first things, both came out on Good Life, which definitely oh, has... Euro- the European hardcore label? I don't know if they're European, but whatever, that sound... Uh, is it European? I don't think it. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Never knew that. Um. Anyway, that seemed to be the stuff that they were kind of putting out in that era. Was that kind of mm-hmm. like 
chuggy mosh call, whatever you want to say. I, I don't know if their their whole catalog certainly not, but like, um, but yeah. So that that'll give you an idea, and that would have been you know what he's talking about. And so then that record that they were then touring on that I was on the tour of was the Hopeless put out, and I think I don't know did that. Is that the one, or did they do one after that sounded like... No, no, it was that one. Yeah, so that was the one that that they were starting to get... Uh, that was more like crossover. Like, those guys, from what I remember, were really into, like, you know, basically Misfits and Metallica. So it was like this bizarre, you know, like they wanted to, to have that kind of big feel, yeah. but still be slightly aggressive. And then I think it became more... The record after that became even more of like a, a whatever, like a Guns N' Roses sort of thing or whatever you want to say. Um, but yeah, um, but early on they were very much the sort of like what you know what AFI was to AFI pre them breaking as a band or something. You know what I mean? Like that kind of more aggressive, not not like early AFI by any means, like much more uh, metal tinge than early AFI. But you know what I'm like the difference of band is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like almost like a stylistic shift, but anyway, that was from what I remember of those years. However, I'm sure West Coast folks that might write in, or even our, you know, your pals or whatever, um, could probably give us a better picture even than I'm describing. But in those years, I definitely remember what he was talking about being the case. I could definitely see someone his age like being like motivated by a group like that, and that that being one of the stepping stone groups locally, regionally, whatever. It's weird because, like, with the exception of, like, you know, obviously the power violence stuff. Yeah. West Coast Hardcore seems to always go for a little bit more of a melodic kind of bend. Like, I remember going to see AFI on the West Coast, and kids were moshing like they would have on the East Coast for, like, Snapcase. And, <coughs> you know, like, even, like, thinking back to, like, unit, you know, like Uniform Choice. Mm, yeah. And, you know, there's always this, like, kind of, like, melody. Even Chain has, like, this... Almost anti melody melody. Yeah, the only the only one that's like kind of the the thing to that is uh, like something like Brotherhood. But yeah, yeah, but I guess Seattle. I mean, sorry, I should say California. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, I get what you mean. You know, yeah. like where like Bad Religion was a hardcore band. Yeah, um, they were a hardcore band everywhere. I should say, but like you know, in well into their more popular era. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's like. I don't know. I think it's time and place for some of this stuff. And that's why it's just funny hearing him talk about like a window of time, like that. I just weirdly happened to be, again, I didn't live there, but I toured in that era and Mm -hmm. saw some of those groups. And yeah, like I can verify it was certainly like that rather than what you'd expect of like a stadium rock group that liked, you know, guns and roses or something like, like three or four years later. Yeah. So that's what I mean. But, um, like sort of actually the, the an easy example too would be you know like someone in our neck of the woods like who or coming to our neck of the woods that say saw no warning in like whatever 2000 I don't know when they actually kind of broke and came out but like say like I don't know 4 years after ill blood you know as opposed mm-hmm. to seeing them just before ill blood you know as it, it was a very different thing you know what i mean yeah like I, i'm trying to think in toronto do they have bum out shows before they broke up the first time i don't really think not that i really recall i'm not even that's not how i I frame it i just think it was different yeah but i think because i think they didn't really i mean again i could be proven wrong i don't remember a lot like factually like 
terms of exactly what show, what year, blah blah. But like, I don't remember them playing a lot in the yeah, on, on like Suffer or on uh, or whatever, like even Surplus Sons or stuff like that. I Surplus don't Sons, I remember playing quite a bit. Like not quite a bit, I but I remember know. them playing. Whereas like No Warning for a time period, I remember they came through with SNFU. Yeah, I wasn't home for that, but yeah, I remember that. I remember who else they came through with. Um, but yeah, like yeah, right. They, I don't think they played very often. But you're, you, you know, be exactly the same sort of thing. Yeah, it's a different. I mean, and like again, uh, by no means am I making that comparison. Either, cause like, I mean, you and I, at least, uh, you know, I think we're in accord here. Like, I hold that <laughs> original era of No Warning very, very high, and that's you know not to throw any shade at any of the groups, but like. I just mean it's just one of those scenarios of seeing a group that people regionally have this, uh, I don't know, leg up on having seen in these special times. Mm -hmm. And perhaps you see them a bit later and say you're out of the region and then you catch them and you're, you're maybe not quite catching the same animal that existed, you know, whatever, some years earlier or even sometimes a year earlier, whatever. That's all I mean. I'm trying to think like one of the best no warning shows I saw would be like April 6th. Definitely, um, and there's a lot. I mean, they were all good for a window. I can't even uh, remember. April six, yeah, I guess April six, the cathedral show. What was the April six one? That's where uh, fucked up at the Transac. Okay, yeah, I think it was April six, right? Like it was like talking the break, the, the breakout. Yeah, I missed that. The one. The teal okay, breakout yeah. show. Yeah, and then they did. Uh, they had a show at the cathedral where they ended with "Fight for Your Right to Party." Yeah, that was incredible. I was there. And that then, was incredible. Yeah, and then they had the the surprise mental set where they jumped on. Yeah, that was big. That was another one I was thinking of. That, that was, was weird because they awesome. didn't. I don't think they even really played a full set. I think they only played like no. four songs. Well, you something. know what happened, right? Like they were okay. So like they were all that show, and I was like watching them with uh, Josh Voinovich because he was going to be my roommate. <laughs> yeah, for people from friend, from, from friend of mine, yes, as well. Yeah, yeah. He's also like a you know like a a, a music uh, aficionado, been involved he's a, and stuff. Puts he's on a great show. man. Yes, he puts Love on him. shows, right? From my neck of the woods, he d he did he used to put on punk shows way back, and uh, he does some kind of uh, shows now. I don't know exactly what. Super minimal yeah. synth stuff now, I guess. But anyway, yeah, great guy. At the time, yeah. he was uh, into some. Fairly dumb hardcore. That's coming from a person that was also into some fairly dumb hardcore. <laughs> yes, we all are. Yeah. yeah. And so we were uh, hanging out at that show, uh, and all the No Warning guys were there, so I was hanging out with the No Warning guys, too, and then he had to give me money for first and last for rent for the apartment. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, the No Warning guys just, like, disappeared, and I'm like, okay, well, let's go to the bank. And so we went to the bank, the TD Bank, for him to give me the money, and we walked by Lee's Palace, and I'm like... And we hear this band playing. And, like, this shows that this club, the Transac, for those of you not from Toronto, it's, like, around the corner from Lee's Palace, basically. Yeah, it's, like, a block. A almost, block. Yeah. So we're, like, and I'm, like, that sounds like fucking No Warning. And then he's, like, yeah. And so we go inside Lee's Palace and No Warning's playing to a room full of industry people. That's like, right. It was some weird showcase. I remember that. Yeah, a weird showcase. They played a bunch of uh, songs that... I don't think they would suffer survive songs. I think it were, they were songs from like another demo from that kind of crossover period. And then yeah. they went down the street and jumped on the Transact show and played some Transact, uh, some songs of the Transact. Yeah, and it was it was next level. That I didn't see the industry one like you were talking about, but I I was at that Transact show and um, Transact show smoked the industry one. 
Yeah, the show. <laughs> no, obviously, yeah. yeah. But the uh, the show for the Transact one was amazing. Anyway, it was like the bill was great. Oh, but, the bill uh, was crazy. It was. Yeah, for them to hop on, measures? that's like prime era mental too. So it was like them hopping on after or whatever during. I can't remember if Mental then played still, or they ended the show. I think I they remember. ended the show. I think Mental but, was just like, we're done. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, but anyway, it was it was a special, like, those kind of moments were special. Yeah, that was a big one for me, even though it wasn't a full set, it was huge. Also, when they jumped on uh, at that fucked up uh, weekend show that we did in Brampton, or Burlington. So they got up and did Violent Minds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh-huh. I think they did some No Warning that stuff was, after that. That was like into the Suffer Survive era. That was at the 4Mac in Burlington, yep. Yeah. And you guys dressed up like Poison Idea. Yeah, we did a Poison Idea cover set. Yeah, you did the intro to po- the to Feel the Darkness. Yeah. Into, we did, did like four whole, songs. That's right. But I remember definitely remember you did the whole intro and everything, yeah. And then we did uh, No Warning covers. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, Righteous Jams played. Yeah, correct. And Shark Attack. Oh, Shark Attack played that too. Wall, yeah. And Brain Handle. And Brain Handle. God and, damn it, we were good at booking shows. And Mind Eraser. Yeah. And fucking Mind Eraser. Yeah, I have that. I'm looking at the f- the the poster right now. It was Saturday, October 29th of I don't know what year. But yeah, anyway, we're reminiscing now. We're off topic of the subject we are way of the off show. Topic. We are way, way <laughs> off topic. It's uh, a straight friendship hour now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, uh, also, he brought up uh, he brought up some great Japanese hardcore stories, too, that yeah. I, of course, you know, that band Clown is <laughs> one of the most interesting bands uh, right now. A band that probably won't be coming over to North America anytime soon. Yes, and I kept the only thing I know about that group is the only thing you've told me, so I have nothing to add on this other than what you said. And all pretty much all I know about is from what I've heard, kind of tell of them. Uh, I missed them every single time I was in Japan by like a day or so. Oh, bummer! I mean, like the two times I was in Japan this summer. Yeah. Um, So I still have yet to see them. Once again, I love talking about wrestlers, so we talk a lot about wrestling. Which I'm sure for Chris was not as exciting. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but we also talked about another subject that's a favorite of Chris and mine, which is Juggalos. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. It was funny hearing you guys talk about. It, to be fair, I, I want to. <laughs> one thing I want to bring up in relation to what you're saying, because I like your theory in in a wild, sensational <laughs> Damien theory uh, history that you have. But human, the idea that Human Furnace possibly influenced all Juggalos <laughs> is probably one of the wildest theories I've ever heard you say. Well, um, let me add a little fuel to the fire. Okay, okay. since this episode, I've been talking to Kevin Gill, who will be coming on a future episode, who was mentioned in this, <laughs> who's the hardcore yeah. Juggalo connection. And yeah. he mentioned how when the first time he hung out with Violent J, he talked to Violent J about you know, hardcore, so we got mentioned hardcore, and he goes, oh, like Cold as Life? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, you know, stoke those fires, Chris. Human furnace. Stoke that furnace, I should say. That human <laughs> furnace. <laughs> what I was going to say to you is you were talking about how he possibly influenced that, and in theory, I, I think it's a very big stretch, of course, but I 
the human furnace thing for me is definitely like a uh, what you're talking about with the paint is definitely like like a um, why is his name escaping me right now like a King Diamond Alice Cooper uh, whatever homage yeah and to suggest that perhaps that influenced them you know I still think it's a stretch but okay I can entertain that idea I still think it's not true <laughs> but um. And, I, and therefore, the association doesn't work for me. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if we've unearthed. I recall someone showing me on tour once a flyer, which I believe we've discussed on this show, where I could have sworn that ICP and Cold as Life played a gig together. Yes, at I least, think I've seen that flyer. I've seen that flyer. So... Of course, there's some kind of, mind you, clearly regional uh, association, but I still think your your fantasy of like uniting the juggalos with like the hardcore punk world. Chris, I only uh, need I only need a little bit to make this work. Of course, I only need him to have walked into a club one time and been like, "Oh shit, that looks cool." Which I'm not saying happened, but if it did happen, it would be a mind-blowing thing to find out. Well, when you interview the Human Furnace, this will be a great topic you can bring up. (laughs) And I'm curious uh, what his thoughts will be on you thinking that he completely influenced the world of Juggalos. It's not his fault. Like, you know, you can't be responsible for what you influence. Of course. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. You know, like... There's been plenty of great artists have influenced not so great art in their wake, you know. Sure. Like, think about all the crappy songs like an amazing jam like Homies inspired from other not so good <laughs> artists. <laughs> you know, whereas Homies is a classic. No, definitely not. Yeah. But uh yes, it is. <laughs> I love that you always throw that in though. <laughs> it's but, it's uh... a classic. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what to say. I've said no to this so many times in the show. I feel like you could cut a tape together. Homies um, makes me wish I had a convertible so I could just play it and just like (laughs) roll around. And it makes me wish I had hair to get myself frosted tips. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you you were so amped on it. Again, I can't wait. I, I have no doubt, though, you will one day encounter one or both of them and that encounter is going to be an epic Damien conversation. Oh, gosh, yeah. There's stuff I want to talk to both of them about so badly. Well, the world of wrestling alone, you're going to – it'll happen. I have no – I have not even an, an ounce of doubt in my mind that that will happen. But, I, uh, there's hope, Chris. There's hope. But, yeah, I, I don't – I uh, my position on the show on this is that I cannot acknowledge your theory on the world of punk and jugglers colliding at this point. That's well, my uh, – official position we've had we've had friends of the insane clown posse on the show so we are close but if i can do a turn at a punk with insane clown posse my god i might send the podcast (laughs) sure you know or like there's like there's certain things that like you know i would love to do with this thing like you know like sit down with uh josh brolin and you know finally hash that out but I don't know. I think that might be topped by sitting down with Insane Clown Posse and getting to the bottom of the human furnace influence on their face paint, getting to the bottom <laughs> of the Coldest Life show, 
at the bottom of probably some killer negative approach stories they have. I think you're going to get a little bit out of the Cole's life stories, maybe, but I don't know about anything else. Well, we'll, see for, we'll see. We'll Truthfully. see. Truthfully. We'll see. Wait for that. Turn out a punk ICP episode <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> I, I do genuinely hope it happens, I will say. Like, I'm not... I do think it would be entertaining and, and informative, for sure. Oh, I just yeah. don't know how much of your dreams are going to, you know, come crashing down when you realize that perhaps it's nothing, nothing more than a, you know, a local gig that was shared once. Uh, yeah, well, even if it was just that one local gig that was shared, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's like some crazy ass story for the backstage. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll give you that. Absolutely. Uh... Uh, I, you, uh, sorry, you've got the next point. Okay. So, um, one of the other things I thought was funny in, uh, the discussion you had was groups that are ruined for you because of people or associations that you think, like there's a bit of a topic with mm-hmm. that. I can't remember mm-hmm. what group he's thinking of. He's talking about but, it in relation to Pantera and Slayer and because there the, we go. Yeah, the yeah. white power kids, uh, yeah. that he hated were into those bands, he could never like them. Yes. And I think, uh, one, I'd just like to acknowledge that um, as a fan of both of those groups, uh, oh, sorry, up to a point, Pantera, um, Slayer, I'm pretty good with across the board. But um, the, yeah, that's definitely accurate. Like for him being about our age, he's a bit younger, but I can verify that, yeah, there was definitely a point when like certainly the archetype of a Pantera fan became like unbearable. Um, so I related with him saying that. Uh, having said that, I thought it was in- interesting that those were the two specific groups. Of course, based on what he's saying, it makes complete sense how that would be, uh, whatever, like frustrating. But um, and also, neither one of those you, groups I think would be uh, two groups I would align myself with politically on a political spectrum. <laughs> no, of course, <laughs> just from sure. things that certain members sure. say. Yes, from both bands. Yes, um, I get, yeah, like, we're not even talking nuance at this point. It's yeah, just like... Rest in peace, Dimebag, you know, still, like, you know, no disrespect at all. Yeah, yeah, but Other exactly. members have but said some like, pretty yeah. wild shit over the years. Yes, and the fan bases of these groups, like, are not, it's not a stretch to say that they're fairly unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they're not even fairly, outright. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I was trying to think, like, do you have any similar... Um, like groups that have been like that for you or were like that. I think you mentioned the pistols weird. early on were definitely oh, a yeah, yeah, group yeah. like yeah. that. I remember seeing the like wax figure of them in uh, an exhibit at uh, the Rock and Roll Experience or something in London, England, and they had swastikas yeah. on and they were jumping. And I remember asking my dad like, "What is this? This isn't cool." And he kind of explained yeah. it like, no, they're just like, you know, playing with it and, and trying to provoke people using it. Like, they don't actually believe in it. And, yeah, yeah. You know, now I realize, like, yeah, my dad was kind of explaining to me, you know, obviously it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, but he definitely explained it in a way that I could understand as a kid. But still, like, that was a group that I was, until I really sat down and started listening to it a, a little bit older, I was like, oh, I want nothing to do with this. What is there any others you can think of? I'm trying to think. Uh, I've got a couple, but they're pretty oh, in, integrity early on. Really? Why that one? Uh, I just didn't like how everyone was obsessed with them at that oh, point, and it okay. wasn't until I sat down and was like, "Oh fuck, they're probably the best band of all time." <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of some other ones that I was just like, 
For me, it was like kind of ones that I think people who listen to the show and certainly you are not going to be surprised by, but Misfits were the one for me for ages. Mm-hmm. But not really anything political other than just like the people I knew that tended to like that were always just kind of dicks or assholes or whatever. And so they always rubbed me the wrong way, even though I could never deny that some of the music is definitely decent, but like I just couldn't get into it. And the other one was The Exploited, because for whatever reason... Early on, I'm talking like when I was young. This mm-hmm. is when I was still like interested in metal and kind of just new stuff by like T-shirt logo kind of looking things. I didn't know their music really, and there was like a kind of local, not quite what he's discussing, like the white power thing or whatever. But there was definitely like you know kind of sketchy young skinhead types that were like weird that always repped that kind of stuff. So my association with that group like early on was not good. And then it took me some time to like kind of like break that whatever association in my head, and then actually kind of you know give those records a chance. Of which, of course, they're great. But um, yeah, those were the two that jumped out at me. I just thought it was a funny thing of like kind of bands being ruined for you, and then you realizing like, well, hold on, wait, maybe I'm <laughs> not you know whatever, whatever you want to say. About it's it, well, it's even weirder when you kind of like you know get through it and realize like even as you're older, like oh no, they they kind of were. The band was a little yep. dodgy. Like, you know, like, listen to Jello talk about the exploited. Yeah, of course. I still think, I yeah, that one's a difficult one because I don't, I see what he's saying. I still think it's a little unfair to, to, to completely call them, you know, something that I feel, I, I don't know if his, I agree entirely with his accusations, what I'm trying to say. But I do, yeah, I get what you mean there. Like what you were discussing in the first two we brought up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's it's funny how, especially in your formative years, that can be like a big a big thing. Um, and for me, like again, another example probably was, and I don't obviously feel this way because I really like the early records, but um, Deglo was one for me that I couldn't mm-hmm. get around for mm-hmm. a minute because of the association in the era of like you know. Like sort of the prominent propaganda era is what I would say. Mm-hmm. You know that the kind of stuff that they were like provoking was really not. You know, I was really not down with. And uh, now, of course, I see it in a different light. Although I don't really, I'm not a big fan of the era of that group. To be fair, yeah, um, it's so it's so hard to get behind any lyrics uh, from that band at any era. <laughs> that's like, true. Like, that's that is true. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like I'm going back to the the first album and being like, no, they, they, they've got some good. They've got some good points on some of these things. <laughs> no, some really that, sketchy yeah. ass songs in that first LP. Yes, but I just mean to say that, you know, like I just aside from that, you know, the records, the early records, I do enjoy. I don't think the era of which I am discussing was entirely representative of what that group was initially not mm-hmm. to say they weren't mm-hmm. always kind of provoking in that sort of punk sensationalistic way but um or, or whatever classic punk sensationalistic way however you want to phrase it i would say forgotten but, rebels too if we're talking like that style of band and then like bands yeah with eras that you you know and then like <clears throat> bands with lyrics that obviously now i understand you know doesn't take away the fact that they're super offensive and i can see why people will not be able to get past that yeah, but at the same time, like I can see that they were, you know, they weren't intending these as to be taken at face value. Yeah, they were satire, of course. Yeah, yeah. they're probably the best example of that, actually, because mm-hmm. uh, I liked that group very, very early on. Well, not, of course, they're much older than I am, but 
when I first heard them, I liked them. Then, of course, I like, you know, you get a bit of a conscience. And then I thought, oh, well, this is a little whatever. And then, I again, I also, like you, had to eventually reckon with the idea, like, oh, yeah, this isn't like, you know, this is like, you know, taking a shot at this more mm-hmm. than like. But, again, <laughs> they're fans. Uh, yeah. Yeah, their fans didn't always get it. No, exactly. Of this, of the eras we're talking, about. these are very specific regional things that we're kind of hashing out. Here. Yeah, but, but I yeah. think these things played out oh, everywhere. <coughs> you know, like agreed. Yeah, at that time period, I think this was something that you know seemed like it was it was kind of everywhere that people were dealing with this with these bands and fan bases that that you know you know you had the Nazis that would show up at shows. No, agreed. Yeah. And it wasn't as big a problem as the generations before you and I, but no, well, still especially existed. where we are, because we had the BFGs. Yeah, yeah, true. And as you've heard, you can once again, listeners, if you haven't, <clears throat> go back and listen to. You can hear the story of how the BFGs beat Nazis across Canada over the course <clears throat> of a couple episodes. If you listen to the Propagandi episode, um, yeah, there's a couple episodes where they kind of talk about you know the Jordan one big time. And, and Chris. It's discussed in the George one, too, yeah. Yeah, and Chris has that moment where he's <coughs> that show when the BFGs played, and it was just like, oh, yeah, we can fight these Nazis. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, a pretty it's pretty cool. Pretty pretty yep. uh, cool moment um, of kids standing up. Uh, but anyway, anyway um, yeah, we didn't really have to deal with it in the same sort of way, I think, as other cities had to deal with it. But that's still, you know, there's still, like, shows, like that Misfit show when all those Nazis showed up and beat all those kids up and stabbed someone or something, and, you know. Yeah, I think I think it was more of, obviously, like, it's still arguably an issue, of course, but mm-hmm. um, that era was seemed a little, people seemed to be a little more susceptible to <clears throat> tolerating aspects of it. I think now... Like, well, certainly people don't tolerate it, obviously, but like the, um, I don't know, there's something I, I don't see, like talking about better now than then, that is one thing, <laughs> uh, for me unequivocally, but, and it's not to say it's gone, but, uh, it's certainly not to any degree that I've experienced since the early nineties mm-hmm. show, which is a benefit of course. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what we were discussing on the back of the disliking bands for their for their fan bases idea, but um, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was interesting though him discussing that, and I think it's interesting that a guy that likes you know aggressive music so much dislikes Pantera and Slayer. Yeah, like I think he now that, respects yeah. them as like an adult looking at it, but I think yeah. you know once again it's the association, and there's something you know like you can't you know there's something you can't get past. Yeah, agreed. Um, and yeah, that's you know a a, a pretty uh, reasonable one to not be able to get past. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And as I said, both bands have members that have said some pretty horrendous things that you know <laughs> might have been like dog whistles to these <laughs> types of kids. <laughs> Perhaps yes. Uh, but I guess uh, is there anything else you want to get to from this episode? I can't think. That's the only notes I had were the ones other than you kind of you know earlier before we recorded <clears throat> we discussed the uh your rev over victory thing which of course oh yes you know, the controversy yes this has yeah. become a major controversy um <clears throat> i kind of would like to amend my original thing because i know my <laughs> you know i'm just saying like victory 
until the year 2000. You know? Because <laughs> then I yeah. can have Hatebreed and I can have all those integrity records in there. Uh, yes, I have to put in Baby Goffle and the Hi Fi and the Roadburner stuff. <laughs> yeah. But like, Rev had some pretty lean years in there. Yeah. And then, like, once Bob Shedd comes in and kickstart the Rev Re- Renaissance, and you have yeah. all those great bands signing a Revelation, and that continues to this day. Um, and, you know, like, over on the other side, things went pretty downhill at Victory. <laughs> You know, there's a couple moments there where they put out some cool stuff, but, like, you know. So, I would say, like, I'm just saying, like, up until the year 2000. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm saying, that's, you know. I think that's even too many years, to be honest. You think? <laughs> oh, well, it's, I don't know, maybe See, that, not. That's how, that's, how, that's how victory wins in the, in, in the 90s, the late 90s. <laughs> By your estimation, sure. Um, what, who are you, what, Will Haven? Oh, I'll, no, no. Like, I'll take Hebrew over Will Haven. Oh, no, for sure. Same. Absolutely. Um, I'm just looking at up to 2000. What? Kiss what Goodbye. Gets in there? I would definitely say Kiss Goodbye is there. <clears throat> well, you're on Rev. I'm looking at <laughs> Victory first here to see, you know, to be blunt about it, to see how much I don't approve of gets in under the radar there. Uh, Some good shit, though. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. It's not as bad as I remember. No. It's pretty awesome. Up to 2000. I thought it was bad. I, yeah, it got really dark after that. Yeah, it gets really it gets really bad at a certain point. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, you're not bad. You're pretty well, yeah. There's still, you know, again, of course, in hindsight especially, there's a lot I don't like on this. But, um, yeah, re- like... We when we were discussing this before, it was very much the early catalog, so that was the debate was very clear. Yeah. But yeah, if you're going to extend the the you know a wider net, then yeah, it's going to be more of a close discussion. But I still think that early rest is so strong that it's hard to not take it. But um, yeah, awake featuring the fir- sick of it all's manager is the first thing on the victory catalog, um, pre victory records, but the first thing on the catalog. Inner Strength, Integrity, Billingsgate, you know, Insight, the very, the amazing Only the Strong comp. It's true. That is great. Yeah. But, again, the amazing Only the Strong comp is not better than your comp. No, not better. <laughs> but no. it's pretty you, You're saying it. You can just end your sentence right there. No, not better, period. But, yes. No, I don't know. I'm going to say almost like... I don't know. There's some pretty hard songs on this. <laughs> it's like a pretty cool comp. It's yeah. great, but you are, you have the two comps. You have together, and you have the way it is. And both. That's not better than either. No, it's not better than the way it is comp. But I don't know. I'm trying to look. Let me get the together track list down and do a side by side comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Where here's what we should discuss: both labels from say like '95 up. Who has the better catalog? That's a tough one. Uh, I was going victory, but like once again, not to like if we're going to the present day, 100 percent revelation. But that's like no, that starts with Bob Shed kind of coming in and kickstarting, like you know, signing hardcore bands again, and like kind of like you know, obviously Rev kind of people, other people getting at Revelation afterwards, and and continuing that trend. And why are there? There's some weird like. It's 
This is very strange. I'm looking up um, the Rev thing, and I'm looking in like the late 90s, and it's got like Converge records in here. I'm like, why does it have Converge? What? Yeah, it has like When Forever Comes Crashing and from 98, but it's clearly an Equal Vision record. I don't know why it's throwing Maybe it Maybe they were doing there. distribution for Equal Vision at that point? Could be. And that's, how just like, it's, that's how it's on the cog somehow? Yeah, I'm just like, why is that on there? Or like... This is weird. Because even, like, I'm like, they put out an Ink and Dagger record? I'm like, no, they didn't. No. And No, they did. They actually did put out a 7-inch. Oh, okay. For the experiments in Nocturnal Sound and Energy in 98. I forgot about that. Yeah, I totally forgot huh. about that, too. I'm not an Elliot fan. so I, No, me, me either. No, I agree. So. Although many people are. And many people I, are. I, I lived through it. I know how many there are. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that would be, like, a... No, you it's know. not the same. Yeah, and I think like the fact that we have satisfaction is the death of desire, which we've already established is yeah, you know, probably the most influential like moment changing. Even people that hated that record reacted to it in yep, a way, you know. Agreed. So it's uh, you know, the the fact that they have that record. I don't think there's anything on Rev that came out during that period that had that kind of impact on worlds of punk and hardcore. No, agreed. Uh, to that level, certainly, either. I do think, though, I think Elliot is a good mention in the sense that it was a big... Mm-hmm. Like, the people that love that group love that group, mm-hmm. but it's not quite the same thing for me. It's certainly not punk, I'll say that much. Um, yeah, like, and also, like, let's be... You know, uh, <laughs> are, you, are you including the year 1995 for a victory? Well, I'm just thinking 95.4. What's okay, 95? Because 95, you've got uh, um, you've got uh, the what the fuck is this? Uh, anyway, you've got the One Life Crew record, right? Lyrics yeah. terrible, but music. <laughs> uh, you've got All Out War. You've got yeah. the Destroy the Machines came yep. out. You have Integrity Systems Overload. You have yep. Snapcase Steps. Once again, I'm not the biggest Snapcase fan in the world, but, like, pretty important record. Yeah, uh, I'm not, that one doesn't get included for me. All due respect. Just, uh, well, you know, but I still think you can you can definitely see that that record had an impact. No, no, yeah. Everyone I talk to is into that record that likes that band. Yeah. I've never been a fan of that record. But, um, yeah. And then you have uh, Bloodlet. Dead guy fixation on the coworker, yeah, that's and a the big integrity one. ten inch, yeah, you know, all in nineteen ninety five. No, I think I might be on board with the ninety five up argument. Well, not to present, <clears throat> but ninety five to like two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. That's when I'm like, I you could even cut it off beforehand, but I just picked two thousand as a round number because then Chris, like ninety six, you've got, and I know for you this is a big one, path of resistance. You've got yeah, I love it. But for you, you're the one who's for both of us. You're well, the one now that I sold out, it can't it can't have as much. <laughs> yes, but what I, I mean know. to say is, like if it was I a scored record, that but record. about all the friends getting together about smoking cannabis. <laughs> now I would be really into it, and like on the back cover, it's just like a bunch of people, like with balaclavas on and like, like right, bandanas, yeah. but with like bongs. AKA all oh, that. Yeah, <laughs> what I was gonna say is. Um, for the listener, why I say what I say, which is a funny little friendship anecdote here, is that I scored 
an original copy of this record off of a bandmate of Damien's, and he <laughs> aggressively, pretty much for me scoring it the second I scored it, aggressively <laughs> traded for me to get it immediately. That's why it was like you saying, I love it. You you actually basically pried it out of my hands at one time. <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah, definitely, when I wanted a record, there was a certain relentlessness to me. Yes. But yeah, no, no, it was, was definitely fun, one of the best yeah. records of all time, but I cannot enjoy it in the same way. I should probably, you know, trade it back to you now because <laughs> you, either way, you will enjoy it now on a level that I can't understand it. I have it. I got, I, I ended up getting another original copy of it. Yeah. I'm oh, good. okay. Well then, uh, there you go. Uh, Warzone. Another uh, one, another one we're forgetting. This is a big one for me because this record is amazing. In Cold Blood, Hell on Earth from 98. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going, I'm saying that's a killer record too. Yeah. There's also the Refused record, you know, like. Yeah, the one before. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. There's, there's some like real big stuff on this label. Like. No, you're, you've, yeah, you've got me on the 95 up argument. Well, yeah. whatever. 2000, whatever. Yeah, like, you, and, you know. Like, like there's what, some bad victory. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, objectively, like, all due respect. I, there's a lot I don't like here, but. I like. There's a lot I really like. Yeah, yep. I never. Like even that, like the Scarhead record is amazing. The Scarhead <laughs> like, record is fucking incredible. Like it really is. Like and so. The Blood for Blood some, stuff is fucking yeah. Blood pretty for Blood, awesome. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The even the uh, even the like Damnation AD seven inch they put out is fucking sick. That's more your thing, but yeah, I uh, I can acknowledge that it's uh, it's the. Whatever it's it's like you worthy. I wonder what the point is where you're like, like Victory always had weird records though, so it's not like there was like a real point where you're oh, like, yeah. oh, what's going on here, guys? You're right. It's about two thousand though. It's like you got two thousand. You have, um, um, you have that uh, uh, like a what is it here? I just passed it. That bizarre like shelter like kind of reunion record. Yeah. And then you have like that crazy Earth Crisis like going for it record, but it's af- I think that was after the major label one. Yeah, they did, which was and this one is far worse than the major label one. Um, you have a Judge Judge seven inch in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, which I also didn't realize Victory put out. But then see like two thousand, like they did like <laughs> Cockney Rejects. Oh, like a reissue of the like Cockney Rejects, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like what? Like holy bizarre! Like truly bizarre label. Like, yeah, you got the buried alive though. Like up until that point, you got yeah. like up until that point is still like still pretty good. And then yeah, something happens. Yeah, yeah, it's a wow. Is the shelter voices fire split on the label? Oh, it's a promo tape. <laughs> Apparently, but yeah, your uh, your ninety five to two thousand argument is very strong, and I'm I. I I'm going to side with you on the victory side on that one. Yeah, like I wonder but, where it is that, you know, you could say that Rev overtakes victory. I mean, victory overtakes Rev, I should say. You know, because like I, I now will concede, you know, yes, the first 10 are fucking better on Revelation than they are on victory. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, the victory first 10 aren't like, it's not like they're a terrible label in the beginning. Like, They've oh, got some yeah, pretty yeah. strong releases right out of the gate. But yeah. there must be a point where there's a switch where you can be like, okay, Rev Rev can't catch up. And is it that 1995 year? or is it, No, it ha- must happen no, it's, sooner. It's probably a little earlier, but it's 90, because I'm looking where I start to fall off. 
is around 92, 3-ish. There's a yeah. few little things, but it for me, it I, that's where I start to kind of come out. Although, eh, no, because they... Well, the Civ record came out on a major label. It also came out on their label on vinyl, I guess. But, yeah, so, I don't know. They got the odd one. Yeah, it's, it's not like a terrible label. Like, they had Kissing no, Goodbye, no. you know? Like, it yeah, was never, yeah, like, yeah. a terrible label. But, no, no, like, yeah. they did have, yeah, like, the, the period where they weren't signing, you know, the, the, the amazing bands they were signing early on and the bands they've been signing in the last, sort of, decade plus, two decades. Yeah. Again, like for me, it's just sonically I wasn't as into it. It's not to say that, you know, for me, I just don't think it's sonically in like the early whatever, what the label was known for. So that was more my kind of gripe or whatever you want to say. But mm -hmm. um, And that's why I like the kind of the, the sort of knucklehead era of the victory stuff to a degree. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, uh, I think it might happen in 1991, 92. They don't really. They put out ones. Uh, they put out an ice burn seven. It's the only thing they put out in nineteen ninety one. So, it does not happen in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one, one yep. release. It's like, yeah, this is all the world needs from us this year. <laughs> uh, it's a good single, though. I'm not. I'm not just talking the single, but. Yeah. Well, the joke here would be that it probably took the whole year to listen to the one song on that seven inch <laughs> because it's probably. 365 days long maybe? yeah exactly they put out <laughs> they went in deep but i guess 1993 would be the point yeah around there earth exactly. crisis firestorm snapcase looking glass self exactly yeah and uh only the strong only the strong uh, warzone live yeah it actually is it's 93 because they both start with warzone yeah <laughs> like basically it's like, oh, it's 93. Okay, does Warzone start this off again? Yep, here we yeah. go. Warzone. Warzone made the jump. Warzone was like the... the uh, Warzone could tell which way the wind was blowing. <laughs> like, yeah, they true. had been on a major label and they had done some weird stuff. <laughs> they, yeah. they were like, at this point, they were like, okay, we're back. And we're not going to go back to Rev. <laughs> There's these new guys in town. And that's where we're going to take this party. Yep. Yeah, so it's around 93. I think you got a good argument. Rev... Beginning to 93, and then 93 to 2000-ish, I would say, is victory territory in that debate of them versus one another. And then it's some, I don't know when it then flips back, but yeah. It's kind of like wrestling with WCW versus WWE. <laughs> WWE I, after the time. You know, it's like, fitting, that analogy. It actually really is. I do it, like, it overtakes it for a little bit, but then ultimately, like, Rev yeah. comes back and... and, and you know, crushes it with it, its relevancy compared to some of Victory's weirdness. Well, yeah, and I think it just became, they became very, very different things ultimately. Like, you know, they, they were just signing, well, they were signing different kind of bands, but they were also signing bands, like, of the era. One of them was really kind of seemingly going for, like, a really, really big commercial um whatever you want to say, like like reaching, trying to reach that commercial thing. I don't know if Rev, I mean, I'm sure every record label tries to a degree, but like, you know, there's nothing, I don't know. Like I just remember, to, again, back to touring in the early 2000s, adjacent to some of these, the, the records, like the bands that Victory were putting out, it was like insane, some of the groups that I was like seeing them put out that would explode. Mm -hmm. And it was just stuff that was just nothing like 
the era we're discussing here. Yeah, like, of course, even with the era, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, the era that we're saying they become irrelevant is when they become massively successful. Exactly, yeah. And that's the irony. To people like you and I, yeah, that's the case. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I commercially or whatever, you know, who's to say who's wrong here, but I, I just, I didn't vibe with any of that stuff personally. But, um, and they always put out, they always did take shots on stuff and they always had like weird releases, but, um, I don't know. It got very weird, <laughs> probably about like 2000 up. Like it just started getting crazy. Yeah. Like there's this like new label they have, I guess. And, uh, it's like a, uh, it's like a pop punk label. It's called Mutant League. Oh, I don't even know. Okay. And uh, there's like, I don't know. It's really weird. There's like, uh, like like it's just like Homegrown's on it. What's okay. the same Homegrown? Like the California pop punk band. I don't know. Maybe. And a band called Crywank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and Movie Life is on there too. Oh, it's like they've weird. got all these sub labels. Huh. Another Victory Inc. They put it a day to remember. Yeah, I don't oh, know. That's their publishing I... arm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're winding down on this topic now. I think we've. Yeah, I think we are. I think, I think you can hear the air <laughs> leaving the balloon right now. Yeah. With this one. But that was a hot topic for a while. Yep. Pun intended. Pun All right. totally intended when you talk about victory. <laughs> uh, I guess that's it. Should, that, is that, should we want to get to any Kevin Drew stuff or. I don't know. I think we should wrap. Because I think we we mined that enough, but if you want it, I don't know. If no, you we'll want see. to talk about some, sure. No, we'll see. You can save it for another day because I, I feel he didn't really get a footnotes. No, like I mean, sort of... we can certainly. Yeah. And actually, nor did Freddie Alva too, for that matter. But we kind of talked about that a little bit. Like there was some, I'm yeah. sure, other stuff we could get to for both those episodes. But Chris, this is a long one. Yeah. So we should we should probably let people uh, move <laughs> yeah. on with their lives and stop yeah, worrying exactly. about victory versus revelation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally um, well everyone thank you for joining us in the protective bubble where things like victory or rev becomes important that we like to call turn it a punk footnotes uh, yeah we please... just figured it out though was that we did figure <laughs> it out we did figure it out yeah yeah we did I think that's the thing is like we've now finally we've put that one to bed I think so personally I think so like like no one now that I said that, someone's going to come with an email. But, like, I really, <laughs> I, I will accept arguments. Like, both Chris and I, I think, will accept arguments. But, like, you know, as assured as we are that Off the Disc is the greatest hardcore record label of all time, <laughs> we are assured that we have now cracked the Rev Victory <laughs> debate. <laughs> I have no comment on that, but it's amusing. Dude, go, well, next time we get on the show, we'll go through the discogs of that. That is an incredible catalog. Yes, of course. Infest. Yeah. Dude, it's not even like Infest, Sleep, uh, Morbid Angel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it's, it's, it's... Those last two aren't hardcore bands or punk bands, but go but, on. But like the fact that he came next to hardcore and punk. Yes, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the fact that they've got that root there, you know? Anyway. Yeah. We can get onto this next. This is a topic for another day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Next week on the show, we've got a, an amazing episode. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, it's 
one of my favorite bands, a band that I don't know, uh, Chris, you know, not as not a big an impact on your life as they had on mine. No, uh, yeah. but I think they had a big impact on a lot of other people's lives. And that is Blake from Jawbreaker will be on the show next week. And, uh, you know, Chris, even if you're not the biggest Jawbreaker fan, I think you, I, I don't think, I know you're a fan of some of the stuff he talks about, of all the stuff. Oh, he talks sure. About. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, I'm not saying it to be like a cool guy that's like, you know, making a point to say I'm not a fan of the group. I just, I've never, I've never been that guy. So it's just, I, it's, it's like a, uh, it just never hit me. Yeah, and it's I not to it. say I think they're. I don't feel. I don't feel they're a bad band. I just never, never got into it. I get it, but you're going to get into it next week, buddy. All oh, right. Oh, you better believe it. Um, <laughs> that is next week on the show. Uh, how do they get in touch with us here, Chris? If they want to send us an email, uh, they can reach us at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail dot com, and I welcome your bizarre theories on Rev versus Victory. Um, and you can find me on various forms of social media <clears throat> at Left for Damien. I too welcome your uh, bizarre theories about Rev versus Victory <laughs> and any other things you want to talk about of that nature. I've had a pretty active timeline the last couple of days. In, in, thanks to the Freddy <laughs> King episode. I'm going to say this is the most controversial episode we've ever had. Um, you think? I don't think so. Well, just because of this thing. Oh, yeah, okay. Well. You know, this is the, this is the hot debate this week on my timeline. Um, okay, gotcha, yeah. So, and I think that's, that's it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if you want to follow Chris on social media, you can follow him at, at mind your own damn business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, if you would like to send us a message at Facebook, my brother, Tristan Abraham, show producer, runs yes. a Facebook page, send him messages. He's been killing it with guest booking lately. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you can imagine that Brody King was one of my bookings, but. He's he's got a lot of people and more keep coming and uh, yeah it's gonna it, Chris knows Chris knows what's coming up. I know how important uh, your brother is to this operation and I think he's a lovely human being. So yes, props always. Yeah, and so we've got Blake next week, um, and then we've got a couple that I think are going to uh, you know be kind of surprises for people. Yeah, I think so. So anyway, that's in the near future. Thank you everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.